Good evening and welcome to Wanda's Picks, Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are honoring our ancestors uh, for the largest slave revolt in United States history, the Slave Revolt of 1811, which we um, began uh, remembrance of on Wednesday, which was the uh, the first day of the revolt in 1811, um, January 8th in the evening. And uh, and then today, what's left of it, would have been the re- the uh, uh the rebellion continuing and uh and then uh tomorrow uh the tenth would be um sort of um well the army is marching on and and i i read uh from the book on to new orleans louisiana's historic eighteen eleven slave revolt on on the Wednesday show. I'm not going to read from it, but I'm going to play a re I'm going to play uh an interview with some of the members of the Slave Revolt Reenactment um army in uh Louisiana. We actually uh Dred Scott artists um uh, had this vision of reenacting this particular uh revolt which for most for all intents was buried historically because it was the largest you know over 500 Africans saying no more to slavery and marching uh along the river road into New Orleans to to end slavery similar to what happened in in Haiti um not too long before that um yeah, just just ten years earlier. So, um, so I'm gonna play the first interview. Uh, we actually had three. We uh, we had uh, conversations on November 20th, November 21st, and uh, and November 27th. Uh, gosh, um, I really liked the conversation on November 21st too. I think I'm gonna rebroadcast. <laughs> I don't know how to work this. Uh, I'm going to rebroadcast the interview on November uh, 21st, and then um, I'll rebroadcast the interview on November 20th um, at another time. Africa, 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 Africa,
Uh, good afternoon and welcome to Wanda Six, the Black Arts and Culture Program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Shapeshifter, uh, San Francisco Bay Area artist, Africa Dabrica, Africa. Black woman is God. And um, we are continuing our wonderful conversation with uh, slave revolt reenactors, sort of lifting up the energy and the and the legacy of the largest. Um, Rebellion in the United States, January 1811. And um, we have in the studio, uh, returning, we have uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Camilla Moses Okpodu, who is um, the, uh, she is the, I'm looking here, uh, she, she is the Professor of Biology and Dean of Arts and Sciences at Xavier University of Louisiana. Uh, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and uh, she was professor 2003 to 2018, uh, and she's a former chair of biology 2003 to 2008 at Norfolk State College, State University, and in the 2007-2008 American Council of Education Fellow. She was the second director of the DIA de Designated Intelligence Community Center for Academic Excellence at Norfolk State University. And you can read more about her uh, in her wiki site, uh, Camellia Okpodu. So welcome again. Thank you so much for joining us for the second conversation. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. And we have uh, joining us uh, Sister Aretha Campbell, who uh, has a BA and an MA in criminal justice from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She's calling us from New York. Uh, Criminal Justice Cooney, uh, Masters of Divinity at, from Princeton's Theological Seminary, and she currently works in social service. Uh, she's a dual citizen of the United States and Jamaica, and she's a recent blogger and YouTuber. Is your is your um, your blog and YouTube called Thriving While Black? Yes. It is? Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, do you want to add anything to, to what I shared about you, Sister Aretha? Uh, I am an avid lover of black people. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, you can't quite understand what you just said. What did you say? Oh, I'm an avid lover of black people. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lover of black people. Awesome. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone here on the air is too. Yeah, I say. <laughs> Super. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And and then we have uh, another person um, uh, joining us that I'm not certain um, who you are. So introduce yourself to us, please. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Maybe you can recognize my voice. I'm uh, Ralph. Ralph Abdullahine. the names of 
these Africans that decided that, you know, hey, we we on to New Orleans, you know, um, you know, victory or death, you know, we are not going to be enslaved anymore. So there's just really, really wonderful, um, you know, that, you know, Dred Scott sort of brought us all together, you know, to be able to um, reenact, you know, and retrace the uh, the roots, the 26-mile, you know, 28-mile route of the historic German Coast Uprising of 1811. And uh, so we marched you know, along the river, um, you know, into New Orleans, Congo Square, uh, November 8th and 9th. So um, I don't know who want, might want to start first, but maybe uh, maybe you could share with our audience um, sort of how you found out about the slave revolt reenactment and and, and what, what drew you to, to participating. Um, Mr. Aretha, you want to start? Sure, I'll, I'll go. So this year I've been really just trying to look for things to help me thrive, as I'm saying. Um, so I, before that, I went to Jamestown to where the first African-American was enslaved um, mm-hmm. to kind of just feel that spirit of what it must have been like for, for the people brought over on those ships. And then I was like, I told a friend about this journey I'm on, like to just try to retrace the steps of um, enslaved people and so somehow gather their spirit up in myself. And she told me about this, and it was like two weeks before it was time, and I just mm. immediately um, reached out. And I actually thought they were going to ask me to pay, so I was thinking of a stuff in my mind that I was willing to pay, and then they said. Um, no, we're going to pay you to come, and I'm like, awesome, you're going to pay me to come to do something that I think would be spiritually healing to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I, that's how I heard, I heard about it, and it was, for me, it was about connecting with my ancestors and connecting with people who are on the same journey of healing that I'm trying to be on. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's what drew me to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and Brother Abdullah Lean, um, what yes. uh, what attracted you to this, and how did you find out? I mean, I know you're like in the town, so you know you're already there, pres- you know, physically. But how did you find out about the slave rebellion reenactment, and and what what caused you to want to participate? Well, um, I do uh, background work, you know, movie sets occasionally, mm-hmm. and I think I got a uh, an alert from uh, one of the casting companies. And, you know, and then I disregarded because I knew they weren't going to call me. So, but then a follow-up was from uh, the uh, SRR. So mm-hmm. I read the, uh, I read about it, and immediately I wanted to be part of it because I had, uh, I had gone on a tour about 20 years ago with uh, with Leon uh, Waters, and mm-hmm. that's when I first heard about it. I came down from California to to the uh, Essence Festival, and that's and I met Leon Waters there, and he took us on a tour. And that tour really, uh, you know, it, it really elevated my uh, interest in in you know in history and and and, and that event. 
and uh, you know, subsequently, I had I was in a family reunion, uh, and I uh, and they were all coming to New Orleans for one of the days that the uh, reunion was going on. So I took them on the same tour that Leon Waters uh, took me on, and I've been pushing it and uh, you know talking about it ever since for the last 20 years. And so when he came up with that, I and I heard about mm-hmm. it, I jumped on it immediately. But uh, let me let me just I'm going to start over because what I wanted to say is last year this time I was finishing up cancer treatment for my prostate oh. Oh. right really? before uh, Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. Uh, I went through prostate cancer and it sort of it was sort of depressing in a way and it sort of made me weak <clears throat> and uh, I was lying around and for the last. You know, from that period up to this period, you know, I was mm-hmm. I wasn't inactive, but I uh, the radiation had had different effect on on different people, so I, I was a little weak. But when I heard about this, uh, that you know, that all went away. So uh, today, um, today uh, I felt better than I felt in quite a while, quite a long time, because. Because what, what happened is I told you that I wasn't going to be available um, yesterday. Uh, right. I was on a movie set, and, you know, they worked us to death. We were standing on our feet for, like, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, wow, this is almost better, you know, uh, more energy than the, uh, than the uh, march. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, a year later, here I am marching um uh, I think I marched a total of 18, 19 miles because I, mm-hmm. I clocked it on my uh, Fitbit. And, uh, um, but I say that to say this, never give up. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 76 years old, and, you know, don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Uh, if you can get the motivation just to take one step forward, uh, you know, that's, that's my... Uh, uh, little story, and and uh, that's that's when I heard when I heard about it, I just had to, I had to be part of it, and uh, I told my daughters, uh, Naima and Kimi, uh, and my wife, I said I'm I'm gonna try this. They said, Are you uh, <laughs> are you out of your mind? <laughs> because you know I I, uh, I I used to be a walker. I, I started off when I started my career. I started at utility company out in, in uh California there as a meter reader. So I was used to walking. You know, I'd walk 10, 15 miles a day in the hills of uh, Northern California, San Francisco, Oakland. And, uh, but that was 50 years ago almost. And, and uh, I went back when I turned 52 and I did the same thing. I read meters because I went back as a contract worker. I had worked in the carpet office in between. And uh, I said, now, if I could mentally, you know, I was I was ready to do it. Physically, I didn't know because I was listening to your guest yesterday, and she said she had a knee problem. And so did I. I think I told you about mine. Uh, mm-hmm. And my knee problem went away, same as hers. So spiritually, that was a, uh, you know, very uplifting uh, event that I uh, participated in. 
Yeah, I'm the person who had the knee problem, and it's good to hear that uh, you felt very similar. And God is very, God is very good because I'm listening to both of you talk, and I realized that we had such connection. As I said, I'm new to New Orleans, and yesterday I talked about coming here to participate and finding out about the um, the reenactment because Red Scott was on campus. But and I also told you I was a member of the Historic um, Contraband Slave Society uh, um, in Hampton. But what I didn't tell you that when I was on the faculty at Norfolk State, I helped to participate in writing a grant or uh, and lending my support through my intelligence community center for the 1619 project which the first um, speaker talked about that she with Greensburg. I was very intimately involved with that at Norfolk. We did a number of um, opportunities where we had people come on and do programming around 1619, the making of America. And so I gave papers. The very first paper I gave was about haplotyping, um, bio diseases, and pan- pandemics in the 1619. And I talked about um, diabetes mellitus um, is an epigenetic phenomenon that correlates with our treatment in 1619 food waste. So I talked about how what kind of foods we eat, what were open to us, and how that has laid down the genetic footprint that has uh, caused us to have a disparity um, that continues to be a part of our um collective being for the most part as minorities, as Africans in America. Um, we have, at Xavier, where I'm the dean, we have the, um, we have in our in my college, we have public health. It's one of the areas that we're looking at. And some of the questions that we're asking is, is just around this whole thing. Like, there are other things that happen to our bodies and our being during this uh, most stressful uh, time that we continue to live on the, a duress. You know, you've heard of driving while black and eating while black and getting an education while black and a number of things that you just have to worry about that uh, other people don't get the don't have that same sort of uh, feeling. Uh, some people call them uh, microaggressions. I call them aggression. Um, micro nothing. There's nothing micro about it. <laughs> okay. So this 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 stress that's been treat that is a consequence and holdover of the way we've been treated gets played out for a lot number of us when we continue to see inequities and social injustices that continue to ravage who and what we become and how desperately we we don't have access necessarily to uh, the best food and or um, equity as it comes to employment and the things that we have to worry that are a consequence and a legacy of the slave slavery in America, and that's to me what, the one reason why the reenactment was so important. It reminded me that there were some of us who still have the uh, who feel compelled to stand up and say these these injustices are not correct. We're not going to take it. We're going to march on to New Orleans. We're going to we're going to live free or die. And so. Mm-hmm. That's also part of our, what we need to continue the conversation, um, what it means to be free and what it means to um, participate and be active in making sure that our narrative is told. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, we've been joined by um, 
uh, Malik Hassan, who I think is probably the long younger um, youngest of of um, the uh, younger group of the reenactors. So welcome, Malik. I know that um, you know you're you're going through some things presently, so I'm really happy that you could join us to talk about you know um, you know participating in this wonderful opportunity to to literally embody and call up the ancestors. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm um, still having trouble finding all the words to describe all of the emotions that I felt in the moment and I'm continuing to feel and just um, all of the things that I, you know, kind of experienced along the way. I will say that, you know, um, as you said, I'm dealing with some, you know, other personal struggles right now. However, I do feel that since participating in the reenactment, there has been this very intense feeling of power, mm. this very intense feeling of, like, power that I've always been entitled to, that I've been able to um, embody more in my daily interactions and in my sense of self and in the way that I deal with the things that I do. Um, I remember at one point, in, in the, at one point uh, during the reenactment, we had been walking all day, and it was getting close towards the end. And, um, it was around the time when we had walked through the spillway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure everyone remembers that that was kind of the moment <laughs> where everyone, you know, was kind of getting to the point where it's like, all right, it's cold, it's raining, guys. It's, you know, you know, we're walking, you know, there was no security at that moment. And I think that was the moment for me where it really felt real and where I really felt most connected to the actual experience. You know, not to say that anything that we had came close to, you know, anything that we did came close to the actual real experience. But at that moment, you know, it felt like, wow, like, this is important. We are doing something, and this is not easy. And that, I think, was my favorite part about it. I remember shortly after that, um, we had stopped, and they were um, coming with, with the blankets. You know, they had the mobile bathrooms and everything. They had the warming packs and little snacks and, and whatnot for people to eat and, um, you know, replenish their energy. And I remember standing and waiting for the bathroom and being a little irritated because, like, you know, I was getting a little wet and, you know, it was a little cold. Um, all of these things, and I overheard a la- I overheard a lady, and this was the only thing that I had overheard from any from all the conversations that were around me. I overheard a lady say, "Wow, I feel very privileged to be complaining about the things that I'm complaining about right now, you know, like especially in the realm of doing what we're doing and representing what it is that we're representing, and I'm complaining about waiting too long to use a restroom that's been provided for me." And at that moment, that really put the whole thing into perspective for me as well. That was a very that was a very um, compelling moment throughout the whole experience. And I think that's what it was for me. It was the nuances of it all. Just the fact that we all felt like we had been there before, the fact that it was so easy of us to fall into doing these things that we had not necessarily physically done before, but that, but, but, you know, the spirit of those that came before us and how it just comes natural. It was incredible. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting very wordy, but, (laughs) <laughs> like I said, I'm still having trouble finding out exactly how how to articulate what the experience was for me in a very concise manner. Hmm. No, this was wonderful. So I was wondering, can you tell tell um, you know our audience um, and those that are you know part of this conversation right now a little bit more about yourself because we met on the bus um, uh, the second day um, on on that Saturday morning. Um, you know, we we met, and I was just thinking about the whole street Claiborne. You know, I, that that street needs to be renamed. That guy was horrible. Um, I mean, he oh, he is he is the reason why no one knows about this this important history. 
they rewrote he rewrote it intentionally to uh as as you know these africans um who who wanted you know you know freedom or liberty or death he he recast it cast them as criminals as opposed to you know the enslavers and these people with these plantations and these these farms, you know, harvesting the sugar as the real criminals. And so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not in New Orleans, but I'm thinking, rename that street. It's a big boulevard. Rename it. I was thinking, you know, renaming it Charles uh, Charles Desalon, you know, Boulevard or something. That would be really hot. Right. Um, I mean, but it's, <laughs> you know, New Orleans is just historically, you know, very closely tied to just like um, all things colonial, all things like oppressive. I mean, and there are many, you know, we have a street named Jeff Davis still, you know, we have a street named Robert E. Lee still, and, you know, they tore down um, some of the statues, you know, to appease some people that were getting angry about it, you know, and mostly the voices that were being heard that actually, you know, made action were, of course, not necessarily the black voices, the people who, you know, had lived in these areas and built these areas under the foot of, like, you know, white capitalism and imperialism, but, you know, of course, you know, New Orleans in recent years has seen you know, this uh, very intense wave of its own kind of gentrification, you know, we have a lot of transplants coming and like, you know, uh, neoliberals coming with their, you know, with their ideals of how to mitigate their own guilt for, you know, the place that they hold in society and whatnot. So once they started speaking up about it, small things started happening, but not enough because the city is still run on just really old and tired imperialist values. And a lot of it just does not I'm sorry. I'm getting past the point. <laughs> it's just growing up here, it's really hard to it's really hard to not get into these conversations when I've seen it and I continue to see it and I go other places and I see the way that things, you know, are not or maybe just the way that things are expressed differently. But you know, and um New Orleans definitely has a reputation for being, you know, more um for being more tolerant than other places in Louisiana or the South in general. However, people tend to forget that this was one of the birthplaces of, like, Americanized slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think that yeah, um, um, people often forget that it still exists today. You know, like, mm-hmm. our school system is, you know, in education, we're ranked 51 in the country. But we have a state-of-the-art prison in the middle of the city. I live down the street from it. Mm-hmm. And it just says a lot about, you know, the climate of what's going on in terms of who has the power and who is, you know, and who has basically who, ha- who has things being dangled in front of them because, you know, New Orleans, once again, is a tourist industry city. So most of it is hospitality. Most lower income black people have to work within the tourism and the hospitality industry, which a lot of the times I use the term shoe shining you know, when describing uh, what it feels like to be in that environment where you're forced to give up so much of yourself and when you're forced to have to, you know, put on a show for these people that don't respect your humanity at all. And, um, yeah, once again, I'm getting way besides the point. I'm so sorry. Hello, everyone. My <laughs> name is Willie Kassan. <laughs> no, I don't think um, you're off topic at all, um, young man. I think you're, you're bringing up some very important points that – we just take for granted because before we didn't have a choice in the matter, before we didn't feel as if we did have choice, but we didn't feel as if we had choice. But um, I know the conversation about even uh, those statues that were taken down and the way they were moved, um, um, you know, people 
continue as they have been. But the idea, you know, I'm not from here. I moved here. I'm a transplant. Um, I have family here who lived in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana for a while. But one of the things I, I'm from Virginia, so this gives you perspective on. So we have yet to remove our Confederate monuments that are in the middle of the city. Um, and um, so Virginia is now having that conversation. And I like to think it's because Louisiana opened the door and showed how it should mm-hmm. be done. And for all the mm-hmm. things that we still have uh, to do, we aren't what we used to be. Um, we're Absolutely. continuing to move to force forward. And uh, as the Bible says, in my opinion, I don't despise small beginnings, but I use that as a way to empower that and, and, and let myself know that it can be done. We have been conditioned Absolutely. to think that we, ha- we can't do those things. But now we know if me, with my bad knee, can walk 16 miles, I mean, you know, it really has empowered mm-hmm. me to do other things and to ask other questions. So I think what you said is apropos for the moment is what the spirit, as the ancestors led you to say, is what we as older uh, uh, members of our of our group must listen to your young voice because you are our future. And I and I and I commend you for for having the courage to say it. And you, no apology needed from my perspective. Well, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. I really do appreciate that. One of my um, favorite writers, actually, Alice Walker. Um, there's a quote from her that I live and stand by. Um, one of the easiest ways that uh, I'm probably messing up the word. I know I mean, the, the wording. I know that I am. One of the easiest ways that people give up their power is by thinking that they have none. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, being cause I'm 22. I grew up in Louisiana basically my entire life, and um, I definitely. Most environments uh, that I grew up in, Malik, hold on for a second. Um, I'm hearing hearing a lot of static. Um, yeah, so it's gone. It's gone now. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Hello? Um, go ahead. You were saying you, you you were saying you grew up in uh in uh New Orleans or Louisiana? Yes, ma'am. Yes, so I grew up um in Louisiana. I was born in New Orleans. However, uh, I was born in the role of the Desire Ninth Ward neighborhood, directly in front of Desire Project on the corner of Piety and Humanity. And um, the house that I grew up in, my family had grown up in for three generations. My grandmother's parents had bought the home, raised my grandmother there. My grandmother raised her children there. Um, you know, and my cousins and I, you know, were, grow- uh, were growing up in that house up until Hurricane Katrina in 2005, where we relocated to Shreveport, Louisiana which is mm-hmm. a totally different landscape and where I learned at a very young age exactly, you know, or I learned at a very young age, you know, what the real racial climate was like in an environment that I had grown up in. Because in New Orleans, I hadn't really seen it, per se, because of the fact that I had always gone to school around, like, you know, um, a very, like, I guess, quote-unquote, diverse environment. Um because even though we live in a nice ward, I went to school uptown, it, it, me, uptown in the Audubon area around Tulane and Loyola, you know. And um, once I got to Shreveport, I remember I was in fourth grade, and there was a child that I offered a French fry. He was a white child, and he told me that he didn't that he didn't want the French fry that I was offering him because black hands had touched it. Mm. And that was and this was me at nine years old. So you know, at this point, um. I've been hmm, 
it opened my mind to a lot of bitterness that I didn't know existed at a very young age that I have been working through and trying to um, figure out how to exist within throughout my entire life, pretty much from that point. Yeah, yeah. I wanted. Um, I think I heard. Uh, I wanted to um, to let. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to let Brother Aleem. I think you had a comment. Um, I heard your voice, <laughs> and uh, so I uh, wanted to um, let you interject something that you you were gonna say um, somewhere along the line when Malik was was talking um, before we get too far from what it was that you wanted to comment on. Yeah, um, I don't want to get too far off the subject, uh, but you brought up the uh, the name Claiborne Street. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I I sort of grew up in that area in the Seven Ward where we caught the bus. You know, grew up yes. in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the country, about ten miles south of Baton Rouge on the Mississippi River. But I would come to the uh, come to New Orleans every summer to visit my mother. And that's what we did down there. You know, we uh, the kids from from New Orleans would come to the country, and we would come from the country to New Orleans. But anyway, we lived not my mother lived not too far from uh, North Claiborne, which is uh, Seven Ward. And, um, and this was during the fifties, early sixties that I would uh, come out. And um, Claiborne was a thriving thriving street. You know, all back mm-hmm. then, I didn't see any. I didn't see any white folks on Claiborne Street in the fifties, late fifties and sixties. And I'm seventy-six years old, so I, uh, you know, so and it and it, the whole thing is to me is orchestrated. You know, um, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from from San Francisco, Oakland, you know, Seventh Street in Oakland, Fillmore uh, mm-hmm. Street in uh, San Francisco where I've lived. Um, and, and and it's a, it's an orchestrated event, you know. The gentrification thing is all orchestrated, so and it's all a sanitation system. You know, we say, well, you know, Absolutely. it's bad in the south. It's bad everywhere. The slave master might give the, the, the enslaved in the south twenty uh, 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 strikes. In San Francisco, they might give give. Fifteen. So what's the difference? So uh, I think that's what the uh, the march is all about. That you know we're, we're in the same condition in every city in the United States. You know, they say, well, uh, uh, New Orleans is one of the worst cities. You know, crime life to live in. But that's what they say in every city I, I've, I've uh, visited. Oakland is the worst. Uh, Richmond is the worst. Now. You know, I, I was um, in Richmond. I lived there for quite a while, Richmond, California. And uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, Wama, but I got shot in, in uh, Richmond. No, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got shot point blank. And uh, wow. uh, I survived it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I was lucky. Uh, a lot was with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um so I survived that event, but Richmond, New Orleans, it's no different. It's no different, you know. Just some places may be a little more upscale than the other one, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't care where you live in America, you know. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're African, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's no different. Uh, right. But 
Yeah. You know, well, uh, I'm going to have to interrupt. Uh, first of all, I wanna, I'm going to have to leave the call, but I just wanted to say um, I'm so glad that, like that little girl told Martin Luther King, I'm so glad that you're here, that the bullet didn't do what whoever uh, shot the bullet at you, the gun at you, didn't do what they intended, and God left you here to do more work. So Absolutely. I'm really happy that you're here, and I'm happy that I get the opportunity to now live in New Orleans and get to meet you. Um Sister Wanda, I, I hate to go, but as a dean, my, my duty calls. I have to sit in academic <laughs> counseling right now. So, okay. But um, keep the conversation going. I look forward to meeting up again with everyone. And um, as my, my favorite expression, and it had nothing to do with Jesse Jackson, I've always said it, let us keep hope alive because we are the hope of the slaves. So I, I, I look forward to talking to you again, and I, I will listen on the other side to hear the conversation as you continue. God bless everyone. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Brother Aline, when you were talking about, um, you know, there, there being, you know, similarities, you know, uh, you know, from coast to coast, I was just thinking when Oscar Grant was shot in, uh, in Oakland at the Fruitvale station, I was in New Orleans. And, uh, and there were, there were, there were uh, police shootings that day. uh, And, and, Young African American men died that day, um, uh, January first, two thousand nine, which was ten years ago now, uh, and and so juxtaposing, you know, this young man who was a father as well, just like Oscar Grant, um, was killed by this police, and just like Oscar Grant was killed, you know, at that BART station, um, uh-huh. hadn't done anything, and and I don't think the policeman lost, you know, I, he, I know he ended up. He didn't go to prison like uh, Meserlees did, um, you know, for a little bit. Uh, I think he uh-huh. just got off, you know. Um, right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what happened in, you know, during our enslavement and afterwards, uh, you know, the police or the clan, police clan, they always, always got off, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, from from the south to the uh, to the uh up south, up in New York and different places, you know, they get out. And nothing uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, just a slap on the uh, arm and 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 that's it. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, I, I remember when uh, Grant was uh, was killed, uh because, you know, we we've all been on in at that particular BART station. I've I've stopped there many times, gotten off to go uh places and uh uh it sort of resonated with me because I knew the uh, area, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you brought it up, but his uncle and aunt was part of the uh, march. Right, um, yeah, Uncle Bobby yeah. and uh, yeah, Beatrice, Sister Beatrice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think Uncle Bobby he carried a flag. So that's mm-hmm. what, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So some did you participate um, in any of the skirmishes? Um, you know, uh, Sister Risa or Brother Liam, I know you did. And Malik, were you a part of any of the the skirmishes that happened? Because um, you know, uh, in, as a part of the reenactment. Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, no, I, well, I, I wasn't involved because I came in from um, uh, Brooklyn, so I came in just uh-huh. the day when you have the last day before you can go to rehearsal. Yeah. Um, you had to do more rehearsals to participate in the skirmishes, or so I was told. But no, I was not mm-hmm. in any of them. Yeah. 
Um, but Brother Lean, you did, I was, right? Yeah, I was, I was part of the uh, first uh, skirmish at the uh, plantation where we uh, overwhelmed the uh, plantation owner and uh, thought we had killed him. But, uh, you know, later on we found out that he uh, he, he, was, he was able to escape it and warm the uh, militia. And also the uh, second uh, uh, skirmish on the levee, uh, mm-hmm. I witnessed that. We all witnessed that. I think as a on your on your uh, website, on, uh, I saw myself on there. And uh, when mm-hmm. we uh, 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 killed the other uh, slave master on the levee, right? And that was part of those, those two uh, events. Um, mm-hmm. And the last event at the uh, at the spillway, I was, you know, I had I had fallen off. I couldn't. I couldn't make. It. I think I rode on the back of a uh, uh, a golf cart for the last couple of miles before the uh, spillway. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, put in about nine miles, and that was about all I could uh, all I could do. And it's a miracle that I did that for the first day. You know, and then uh, I turned around, and you know, we came home that night, and uh, mm-hmm. said. What I don't know if I can make it the next morning. And, right. Uh, I think another miracle had intervened. When I got up, you know, I uh, jumped in the shower and uh, threw my clothes on and and uh, able to make it through that. The last day, I was able to make it through the whole march, except for a couple mm-hmm. miles. So, yeah, I was really uh, happy because I was like, I was happy that you could make it because I just thought it was really cool. You know that one, I could stay with you all, and the two, you know, I could march with you. And even though we didn't march yeah. together, it was still nice, you know, to like at least you know ride over together because I kept on missing you in all of the lineups. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, uh, it was a little. And the first day that morning, it was a little uh, unorganized as far as getting on which bus. You know, we were supposed to be on the first bus. So I missed that bus. I got on the second one. I think you got on the last bus. I got on uh, yeah, the 1030 bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the 1030 bus. So, uh, yeah, but overall, uh, you know, it was a very uh, uh, spiritual event mm-hmm. as well as physical. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you, <laughs> when, you did the, uh, when you did the libation, you know, I'd gotten, I'd walked down just, just in time to be part of the libation. And uh, mm-hmm. you were calling, you know, you were asking, you know, permission to uh, do the libation. And, that's, you know, it's an African tradition to get the oldest person in the crowd to give permission to uh, do whatever you want to do. And uh, uh, you asked if there was anyone that was 80 years old, no one responded. If there was anyone 75, no one uh, is there anyone 76. So I responded. So. I take it I was the oldest one in the uh, in the mark. Now that could have been someone yeah. older, but they didn't speak up. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I got a lot of more, especially when you see it when you were calling the names off. I wasn't quite sure what names you were calling off uh, because because I sort of got in the middle of it. And uh, so you mentioned. Uh, Quite a few names, and you, and one of the names were Dawson, D A W S O N. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't take, and you say, oh, that's, that's you, uh, Ralph. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me. You know, you know, I'm a Dawson. My name, you know, AKA Ralph Dawson. And, uh, uh, being a uh, genealogist, you know, I said, well, I wonder if that was one of my family members that was part of that insurrection because, uh, there was another event uh, called the uh, Georgetown 272, which slaves were sent down to uh, my uh, parish that I grew up in uh, to help pay for Georgetown University back in 1838. And I'm related to some of the uh, descendants that they sent down to uh, help sell the slaves in, in Iberville Parish uh, to help uh, defray the cost of the, um, uh, uh, I think they had filed bankruptcy back in 1838 because they couldn't afford it. So they had these 272 slaves that they sold down the river, and that's what slaves saved uh, Georgetown University, one of the richest universities in the, in the country. Hmm. So I, was, I know I was part of that, uh, 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 those people, those enslaved Africans. But when you, talk, when you uh, mentioned Dawson and this insurrection, I say, now this is profound. So, being a uh, genealogist, I'm, that's one of the things I'm gonna start uh, researching because uh, anything, you know, like that, you know, that uh, that happens, and, and a name is uh, announced uh, like that, uh, I'm gonna have to get on it. I haven't had a chance yet to look into it, but uh, uh, thanks very much for having those names available, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, that, that really uh, 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 sparked my motivation to uh, march that, that last morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really great. That was Saturday, um, you know, that we called the names of all of the, um, you know, uh, Africans that, you know, resisted enslavement and, and went on that march to New Orleans, you know, freedom or death. And and it was, like, really cool. I had known that when we got to um, Congo Square that um, from the stage, you know, there would be those from our, our ranks that were calling the names, too, and then we'd all say the names. That was so beautiful. Did um, Malik uh, and Aretha, did you participate in in that part, calling names, I think you were on stage, Aretha. I think I remember seeing you there. Um, um, no, I, I, no. no, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Malik. Go ahead. My apologies. Um, no, ma'am, I, I did not uh, um, mm-hmm. get on stage that day. I was in the crowd, mm-hmm. but still, it was yeah. like extremely powerful and just while yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I was uh, really. I, I was on stage. I, 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 I still hadn't gone on me. Uh, what I was doing, uh, uh, but I got up there and called the name Suzette, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize till the next day, you know, what was going on with that. Uh, you know, when you get, the, I don't want to put it on my age, but I, you know, I just it didn't dawn on me uh, what we were doing. I just wanted to get up there and, uh, because I was so excited about marching into the uh, from from the French Quarter into. Uh, to Congo Square, uh, you know, it kind of reminded me when I was in high school. I played in marching band uh, throughout my high school, and um, 
So that was sort of a combination. I uh, and and on top of that, my my daughter Naima, you know Naima, and mm-hmm. her husband uh, Shaka Zulu, and a couple other dancers. They were right in front of the stage holding sticks up, uh, and they were all dressed up in their whites for us to march through. And uh, that was, you know, that that. That was so exhilarating to see my daughter there uh, uh, greeting us uh, mm-hmm. uh, from this from this uh, march, you know. And and uh, I say, well, I got to rush. Uh, I got to get on stage and say something, you know. Uh, and I, actually, I was in the back of the uh, sort of in the back of the line or the middle of the line. I sort of I sort of uh, ran up toward the, the uh, front of the line so I could get on stage. And uh, speak because of my daughter being there, and my son-in-law, and uh, uh, greeting us. But that mm-hmm. was that was a momentous uh, moment uh, for me when we uh, marched Congo uh, Square, and I I think I told uh, Dred Scott that the following night there was a uh, gathering uh, on Saint Saint Claude Street the, the following night or the or that Tuesday night, I think. And uh, I relayed relayed that to him. Uh, how I was thankful that he had an idea of that. Uh, you know, I can't. You know, I can't articulate how I uh, really felt. But um, you know, I I I felt uh, the spirit, and like I said, it was spiritual and physical. So that's you know I'm gonna let someone else say something because I in fact I I've sort of run out of uh, I have a lot to say but I can't you know really think of it right now but uh, <laughs> yeah you know. okay. yeah well Sister Rita um, I want you to share just sort of just you know the costume that you had on and the procession and you know on to New Orleans you know like the chants and were you carrying a flag and who were you walking with? What kind of relationship did you develop with the Africans that were around you? Just talk about sort of some of those moments. So my costume was made for me by the costume department. So it was just a simple skirt with uh, a blouse, a cream blouse, and then they had like a torn um, sweater that I put over and there was a scarf to wrap my head. I think I was mainly with... Um, um, there's a group I came for the last day and I was with a group and I intentionally tried to be with that group I was especially mm-hmm. close to with them because I think we're both on the same quest to have a spiritual awakening a spiritual kind of um, thing happen for us so I was carrying a, a machete um, you guys say mm-hmm. something else you say um, you don't say Michelle, you say, um, how do you say, what, what is it called here? Okay, I, I, it's the machete that we call it, and I was carrying that mm-hmm. at one yeah. point, I was carrying a gun. Um, okay. I think um, I, was, I was chanting, and sometimes we were, we were singing, because I really didn't think the ancestors would have done as much chanting. They would have done more singing. That's how we felt, so we were singing a lot. There's a part when I think I really got most upset 
in when I was packing what I thought was a plantation. I was just really upset about that. I was also upset about um, the fact that they made the ancestor graveyard now is just a place where they cast water um, when mm-hmm. the place starts to mm-hmm. flooding. And then I was upset when I was passing the plants and I saw mostly black people and I know there's toxic emissions there. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty upset a lot. Um, and then I'm tired and um, so that was building. And um, But I, I definitely felt a spiritual sense that 1811 18, and 2019 was touching and that we were saying the same thing, that both of us needed freedom or death, because both of us are enslaved in different ways. Absolutely. So it's the same thing. It's like, this is the same game you're playing. I'm on the same plantation, regardless of what you're telling me. If I jump through all the hoops you jump through, you tell me to jump through, you're still going to create a plantation for me. So I'm going to get the next person, I get the best mm-hmm. one, but you're going to pay me less than you pay other people. Even mm-hmm. the social service that I do, that is a plantation. At the top of it are white people, and you send me out a black space to other black people, and I get them to be obedient. But you don't want me to kill them, because if I kill them, they come out of the program that we're in and stop getting paid. So when I come here, I teach them to make them self-sustaining and great citizens who tell me no, but then they won't need our services. So how is it not on a plantation? So I guess my anger there was like, I'm still a slave here. I'm still screaming the same thing my ancestors are screaming. And how do I finally win? And it's not going to be, I have to kill capitalism. The Mm. hyper-capitalism that we have here, I have to kill this white supremacy. I understand we have to do it for real. Because, yeah, that, that is just doing heaviness and frustration. But one good thing, there are many good things. The, the love that I felt among, I'm Jamaican, um, Jamaican-American, but I felt love and acceptance around African-Americans. Like, I knew they were my family. That, And I saw the most beautiful people on earth, like these different views of blackness. I was like, just there mm-hmm. staring at people like, oh, my God, how mm-hmm. can you be so beautiful? How can you be so amazing? I was just in a candy store of blackness wanting to just salivate. <laughs> That's just sick. But yeah, also, it's when I was tired the first night and super frustrated, it came to me like, yes, I'm in this rebellion where people revolted violently, but there's also the dignity of survival that we don't celebrate. Like, mm. I felt so tired and like frustrated and wanting my creature comforts. I love organic food and soft beds and shit like that. But here I was on the stage thinking so proud of my ancestors that they're just their mm-hmm. living day was heroic. People want us to say, oh, why, why didn't they kill the master? No, just living was their rebellion. They rebelled every day when they got up. Yeah, they absolutely. say, I refuse to die. I refuse to absolutely. love take my voice away. Oh. They enjoy their their being is heroic. And that just came to me like, wow, wow, I am so great. I'm so great. I come from such greatness and people are trying to tell me otherwise. So that that I don't know, I'm still 
amazed and so happy about the experience. It's just, um, mm-hmm. and I just want to have that that same cry that they have: freedom or death, and live it every day in my actions. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not taking the shit anymore. No more crap on the table. No more mm-hmm. new systems of slavery and Jim Crow and all this bullshit. No more separating ourselves from each other, having them tell That's lies that Jamaicans don't love Haitians and uh, African Americans don't love Africans. No, we're not as big as life. We're going join together like we did there with a mighty fist and destroy white supremacy. We have to kill mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Malik, I, I heard you like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to like gather my words because that was very powerful and I resonated with so many things that was mm-hmm. just said and I'm trying to find a way to articulate exactly, um, you know, how I want to actually um, expound upon that in my own words. Um, also, uh, keeping in mind that, excuse me, oh, sorry, also, um, keeping in mind that pretty soon I will also have to exit the phone call because I have to get back to work, but okay. before yeah. I do go, I really do want to, um, emphasize on just how much, um, realizing just how much effort went into even getting this event to happen mm. and how much precautions had to be taken and how much and how many people had to be notified and how much publicity that this, you know, not had, but that it had to have in order for it to be able to happen safely. I mean, you know, this is a congregation of 350 black people walking through southern rural Louisiana, you know, chanting about their history, chanting about their past, chanting about the things that we've been through that are that we're still continuing to go through, you know, um, just on a regular day. This is just us convening and congregating and being within our culture. And the fact that it was it caused so much controversy. The fact that so many people were either surprised or disgusted. I don't know. There were many moments where, you know, I paid attention to the faces on the sidelines. I did a lot while I was um uh throughout the whole entire march. And going into it I had the thought that I'd be more uncomfortable in the rural areas than I would once we got into the French quarter. But as we marched through the French Quarter, I found that to not be the case because once we got in the French Quarter, I kind of – it was more evident what America's real problem with racism was, and it's the patronage because what I saw, you know, with so many people that didn't understand the gravity or, you know, the caliber of what it was that we were doing, understand the history behind it, understand what we were representing and what we're chanting about not only for the past but also the present – and, you know, they're smiling and they're clapping and, like, you know, they're, like, white smiles all over. But I don't mm-hmm. I don't think anybody necessarily understood. But, you know, for themselves and for their own guilt and for, you know, their own sense of uh, righteousness, they support, quote-unquote, yes. blindly support. And that's, I think, the most eerie thing to me is that even though we're saying what we're saying out loud, I'm, you know, sometimes I get nervous that – what if they're not listening because what if they see it as a show? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I saw kids, you know, I saw kids grabbing their parents. Oh, mommy, daddy, look, it's a parade. It's a parade. And, you know, that's not what this was. And often, you know, I think once again, it kind of goes back to the whole thing with um, some undertones of how I was talking about, you know, how, how New Orleans is service, in, in, service industry dominated and a lot of uh, – 
you know, uh, low-income black people are, like, forced to, you know, kind of do the dance and, you know, you know, um, yeah, do the dance and, you know, put on the show in order for people to keep coming back and wanting more. I mean, if you go to almost any high-class restaurant, quote-unquote high-class restaurant in the city, all of your servers are going to be black. If you're on Bourbon Street, your entertainers are black. You know, you have people shining your shoes. You have people, you know, tap dancing on the street. You have, you know, kids, you know, beating drums on the street. You know, all of, you know, all of these talents and all of this, like, just cultural greatness and, like, interaction just being exploited. And I'm nervous. I'm nervous a lot of times that, you know, um, because that's another layer. That's another layer. You know, the passive layer is one that I feel like is their greatest guide to what they really like to do because that kind of, you know, absolves them of accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, for them to be able to say, oh, well, we didn't say that. We didn't do that. You know, that wasn't outwardly expressed. So, you know, there's and kind of there's this method of gaslighting that I feel even often whenever I speak because um, living in New Orleans, you know, I um, I drive Uber. Um, well, I used to drive Uber. I recently stopped because I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I also work at Starbucks, and the main thing I'm doing right now is that I'm a digital media and graphic design intern, which is where I'm at right now. I'm actually at my internship, but I took a break to come um, and be on the phone call because this was such an important thing for me to be a part of. But um, but yeah, so a lot of the times, you know, driving Uber, I have the opportunity to have these conversations and to speak about these things that other, otherwise, you know, these people wouldn't hear. And, you know, sometimes I'm able to make an impact, and other times I don't think people, once again, I don't think people understand the caliber of what it is that I'm trying to express. You know, I'm not speaking for my, I'm not speaking for fun of it. I'm speaking for my life. I'm trying to save myself and my people. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. not, not to say that I'm trying to save, you know, as if like I'm this, but just in the sense of I'm trying to do what I can, you know, trying to link the little pieces together and to sort of build up the Lego, be one of the Lego blocks that, build the pieces together, and I think that that's, uh, that, that's what resonated with me so much about the um, about the reenactment, is that it was so many of us from all mm-hmm. over, so many of us putting together all of these pieces in this big, huge demonstration, and I enjoyed, once again, I enjoyed more, which I hadn't expected, but I enjoyed more marching through the rural areas than it was, than I did marching through the French Quarter, because the French Quarter... I felt more of a sense of people know and they're choosing to react a certain way. Whereas, you know, in the rural areas, there's a lot more ignorance, but, you know, a lot more ignorance for the sense of people, you know, aren't in the environment where they see this happen every day. So they're, so they're Mm -hmm. genuinely wondering what it is, even if they do have ill thoughts about it, that's something that they saw that might impact them for the rest of their lives. Or not. Either mm-hmm. way, it's something that we saw and we spoke and we said our words, and that's powerful, extremely powerful. Freedom or death, like, mm-hmm. I, and that's the thing that res- that's the chant that resonated with me the most throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing. It actually, made mm-hmm. I, I actually um, had some pretty emotional moments when just thinking about it and reflecting on it and telling people about it because it's so important for so many reasons, and it's so relevant for so many reasons, and I keep saying the same thing, I keep reiterating this, but I don't think people realize. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, Malik, um, and I wanted to ask you if you could talk about some of the um, 
uh, you you recorded these little snapshots, and I wanted you to tell us sort of what you know as you are reviewing those those moments over the two days, just sort of what what you collected. But I was just thinking about the whole idea of, of calling us home. You know, this is a 400 year of African American history um, right. uh, legislation. You know, this is you know there's a African American history 400 years of African American history act. Right, it's a legal document that you know number 45 signed, and and we're looking at you know sort of the right to return and you know African nations are calling us home like Ghana and you know they had the big mm-hmm. you know uh, you know congressional and you know folks went with Nancy Pelosi you know to uh, to to pay homage to African history and you know they went to Elmina or Cape Coast I'm not sure which dungeon they they visited and and she and Pelosi spoke but you know but I'm thinking like home you know home those dungeons for us are in the south those are those five states right, right? Louisiana right. Alabama Mississippi Florida uh, Georgia, that's mm-hmm. that's our Elmina, that's the slave dungeon. Mm-hmm. So for those of us, like, you know, for Dred Scott to be able to facilitate calling us from the various corners of this nation to come home and honor our ancestors who staged mm-hmm. the largest insurrection in the history of this country. And it was so, you know, so monumental that they squashed it to date. Right? Nobody right. knows this history, right. but now they know it because right. we reenacted, we embodied it. So I'm thinking about like, so like the staging of everything. Like we have these brothers and sisters on horseback, you know, like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. walking, you know, at the bottom of the hill. We're on the top of the levee there at the bottom of the levee, you know, and, and in the rural area, you know, there's not that many cars, not that much traffic, and you see these you know, this brother with a car with his kids in there, he, he pulls over and he gets out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so his mm-hmm. children yes, are like, witness this. this happened more than once, right? Yes. And, yeah. and I just yeah. think, and then, and then we're in period costume, so this is like, they don't look like we know we look now, like, you know, walking with dignity, holding our flag, you know. Right. It's just like, I mean, I'm in it, so I don't actually know what it looks like until I look at the pictures and I'm like, it was stunning, you know, oh, absolutely yes, stunning. Like, wow. And that then is. we get to Congo Square, like, what? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sadly, I wish that I had more footage that I recorded from my cellular device because I, because I was actually I was actually brought – the way I actually ended up participating was that through my internship, one of my mentors uh, connected me with a videographer that was working on the project. And um, mm-hmm. he asked me – uh-huh. and uh, me being an aspiring filmmaker – um, they asked me if I had wanted to, you know, be a part of that uh, as a GoPro operator. So, you know, filming, but mm-hmm. also being a part of the reenactment at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, of course I jumped on the opportunity just to be a part of something so culturally significant as well as, you know, have to do something that I've kind of always dreamed to do, which is, you know, be mm-hmm. a part of a film production of that caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a lot of the footage that I did get, I remember there was this one on day two where we had stopped right before our lunch break, and uh, there was, it wasn't a drum circle that day, but we had like a praise circle mm-hmm. where um, oh, everyone was singing. I'm trying to remember what song we were singing, but everyone was singing, and there were tambourines, 
and um, there was a drummer, mm-hmm. some people were harmonizing, and I remember taking a video um, at that moment that was so beautiful that I actually watched multiple times on the bus ride back. Um, mm-hmm. Once I came back uh, later on at night to get my car because it was just so, it was so moving. It was so many of us, and it was so many of us. I... <laughs> It felt like home. It felt like a family reunion. Like it's to reiterate, you know, what I said earlier about, you know, us all never having been, never having been there before, but all just having been there before at the same time, Mm -hmm. it really felt like we had all been there. And we had. Well, we have been. You know, you talk about sort of, you know, um, there's memory in our DNA. So we were there. Absolutely. You know, there's, I mean, Absolutely. like, there's not like, you know, you can't destroy matter, right? So we're all recycled right. energy. Right. So, exactly. so yeah. So, exactly. you know, we were yes. there. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Just what you were feeling is, is, was real, was like being incarnated. Yeah, exactly. Yes. No, 100%. 100%. I felt like I was meeting people that I had known for years and, conversations mm-hmm. happened so easily. I felt like I had danced dances that I had always danced before. I just, uh, yeah. I just <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with but with that being said, sadly, I have to go. Oh, I'm just okay. getting in. Really. <laughs> but I have to go uh, finish this project that I'm working on for this organization and okay. get that pushed out the door today. But thank you so much for having me be a part of this call. It was very nice speaking with everyone. And I hope that everyone thank has a blessed Malik. day. Okay, uh, thank Malik, you, Malik. Uh, yeah, Malik, are you still there? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, look, uh, you guys uh, have uh, articulated all my feelings, especially yourself. I know you, you must be about 20-some years old. I'm 22. 22, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so keep up that consciousness that you have and uh, – you know, uh, and, and draw people to you, and I think we'll we'll survive this thing. Absolutely, that's yeah. that powerful. Thank you, thank uh-huh. you. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who you are. I'm sure I saw you on the march. Uh, I've seen your uh, picture. <laughs> okay, yeah, do that, do that, because your, your voice your voice uh, sounds uh, very uh, familiar. I may have talked to you. I don't know. But uh, uh, keep up uh, that thought that you have, uh, and I agree with you, with the people in, in uh, uh, the French quarters. You know, uh, you know they do look at us, you know, as a show. You know, okay. and uh, uh, I, I agree with you uh, very much on 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 your analysis. So uh, keep it up, and uh, and uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You all as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. All right. You take care, Willie. Good luck on your project. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I appreciate that. Bye, will guys. Mo- will you have some time? Send me Bye. some footage so I can, I can, um, I can, you know, put it, you know, sort of in the mix here so people can hear it, the songs and things yes, that ma'am. you recorded. Um, I sent you, I sent you two of the video files. I can. Re- oh, you did. I can. Uh, try- oh. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Oh, but you can you Alrighty. can you can um you can pull the sound for me. I can, I can see because as I said, I'm dealing with I'm currently uh dealing with a broken laptop right now, but I can mm-hmm. try to work some magic and figure out what I can do tonight. Oh, super! Because I could use it next Wednesday on our next next um next conversation. 
Nice. Well, I'd love to be a service. I'd also love to be a part of that conversation to continue telling oh, my you're totally, You're totally welcome. 8 o'clock. Absolutely. All right. All right. You take care. Look forward to talking to you soon. Yes, ma'am. All right. Peace and blessings. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk a little bit more, if you have a few more minutes, about, um, uh, you know, your experiences. Um, What's this, Arisa? You were just really flowing. Oh, my goodness. That was so beautiful. You might have said everything. Um, <laughs> but um, Sorry yeah, you know the speaking so about the sixteen nineteen, yeah, the sixteen nineteen, you know, two thousand nineteen. I was there at um, uh, at uh, Hampton um, of uh, the uh, uh, what is it, the uh, the um, Fort Monroe National Monument um, there, you know, at at Point Comfort where the first Africans came into this particular um, colony. In, in August, we, I didn't meet you there though, but um, we were there together. Um, and was uh, that on the was that was that on C-SPAN? that was August. Hmm? Did did that take place with uh, C-SPAN? I saw. Yeah, C-SPAN uh, was there. Yeah, that's right. Yep, it was yeah, on yeah, C-SPAN. I think, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 really, yeah. It was really, really beautiful. I, yeah, I was there I when they rang the bell. Yeah. Hmm? Uh I was there. I went to Jamestown where they have, they found, they excavated the body of, well, they found artifacts for Angela, the one of the first yes. ones. So they came to Comfort mm-hmm. and then they came over there at Jamestown. So I literally mm-hmm. went there and I was like talking to her spirit, like apologizing mm-hmm. for what happened to her and, mm-hmm. you know, telling her that we're still here and we're still fine and we're still fighting. Because I can just imagine how it was for her to be like, but also I was also seeing where they killed, they took people's land and life, and all the things they built, it's just now rubble. So you destroy, try to destroy us for stuff, and we're still standing here, but the stuff we made up, it's rubble. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I was able to go to the uh cemetery, you know, where um you know, the uh the first Africans, um, the family, um, um where all the descendants, you know, sort of trace their, wow. their ancestry. I was able to do that on I think it was that Friday. And and then wow. on the Saturday there was a sunrise ceremony at um at a historic African beach. And that was really beautiful. They were at, yeah, it was a really well, well uh, choreographed weekend. And then uh, there was a free concert, nice. Common and and uh, Spirits of Blackness. They performed. It was free for the community. Wow. Um, yeah, it was just. And then and then that Sunday was the National Day of, of Healing. And um, throughout the parks, uh, the national parks, they were supposed to at the same time. It was three o'clock Eastern time. We were all ringing, ringing these bells, you know, um, one minute for each year of the 400-year history. So that was really, uh, that was really moving as well. Um, and uh, they're really, really beautiful. Um, I was, I was really um, disappointed that, even though you know it was also the anniversary of the National Park Services and uh, Colonel Charles Young, um, he was a uh, the highest-ranking um, African person in uh, in the uh, army or the military at that, that point, 
um, he actually was the first superintendent of of the National Park Service and the current superintendent of um, of the uh, Fort Moreau National uh, National Monument is a person of African descent, and it was his idea. <laughs> uh, he had this idea to do this this day where we were going to ring the bell. He was just praying for good weather. <laughs> Remember the brother? His name was um, uh, Mr. Terry. His last name. Remember seeing him um, on the stage um, a couple of times when you were there. Uh, Aretha, do you remember uh, seeing when him? I was hmm? No. Um, on on the when I was no, when you were um, at in Hampton, Virginia, for the National Day of Healing. No, I, I that's what I was saying to you. I didn't go to Hampton. I went to Jamestown instead. Oh, oh, you oh you spent the whole time yes. in Jamestown. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, okay. yes, and yeah, that's that's where I was. I went to. So yeah, I, that was in October rather than at the time they had had the event that you attended. Yeah, that one. No, I, the one that I attended it was on it was on in August. August twenty fifth was. I know. The day I know. Of, I yeah, that but one. you were there. But you were there in October. Yes. Yeah, that was oh, my okay. just going on my own journey. I went to Jamestown. Also. Mm-hmm. Also went over to Colonial Williamsburg, and you know, oh, that's even good. that is yeah. a yeah, that's a part where a lot, I a lot of the times I was the only black face, and I'm asking like, so where were the slave quarters? Because they keep on trying to act like slaves were um, servants. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> Williamsburg is the first place of white supremacy. I mean, the moment they arrive there, they start changing the laws that um, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be free, according to English common law, but then they just kept on changing the law, changing the law. So before everything, mm. they, the fact that our enslavement was codified there in in Williamsburg. So mm-hmm. that for, for me was like the place I, I felt I wanted most to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the rules and the laws that they're getting us all tricked in. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how you trap us up to say it's a rule mm-hmm. or a law. But it's only wrong if it's not white. Mm-hmm. It's white and right and wrong if it's not. Mhm. Right. Yeah. 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 In California, people think about California as as a, a free state, but actually, California, um, according to um, Delilah Beasley, who is a, was a, a maverick journalist, African American woman, she wrote for the Oakland Tribune. Um, she she put she uh, wrote an essay called "Slavery in California," and it was written in, in uh, January 1919, so it's centennial this year. She uh, she says that um, slavery, uh, de facto slavery, ended in California in 1872. So after wow. the end of the war, there was still, you know, instances of bondage here in, in California. And she's also well known for her book, um, um, gosh, what was the book called? Um, oh, I just lost it. Uh, it's also having a centennial. Um, but where she, in this particular book that I can't think of the name of, she um, she chronicled the stories of, of African-Americans uh, of note 
here in California, all of California, Northern and Southern California. And uh, it's, it's still available and uh, really, really wonderful, wonderful book. So she was a really great woman. And, uh, you know, oh, Candace. Something, something Candace Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really good book. And, and the um, uh, both, like, uh, Slavery in California is available. You can get that free uh, through JSTOR, uh, S-T-O-R. Okay. And, um, and then her other book, um, the one about um, uh, African Americans uh, here in California, that I got that um, on, uh, it's available online. It's not available in print anymore, but it's available online. You could you could get it for like mm-hmm. under five dollars. It's really really reasonable. Oh, so I was so wondering, um, yeah, if um, sort of um, if you had any closing thoughts. I wanted to ask you more, brother um, Aleem, about um, your your tour twenty years ago with Leon Waters. I wonder if you could tell us like who is Leon Waters and what did that tour encompass and how much of our reenactment was that that tour that you went on. Uh, yeah, the tour that I went on with uh, Leon was the same march that we took this uh, couple weeks okay. ago. Uh, exactly, because he started off at the uh, at this sign in uh, in La Paz, and uh, you know, over the years we had, you know, we used to come from my home to New Orleans on field trips, and mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. one of the places that we would go would would be Lincoln Beach. It was all black beach, and that's, that, was, that was a place where I really had a lot of fun and the most fun. Anyway, uh, this, this historical marker in La Paz, uh, Leon started there and mm-hmm. took us mm-hmm. through um, uh, along the river road, and uh, he took us through. He, he took us through some cemeteries. Now we didn't cover that, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. there were some cemeteries that he took us to that were. Uh, Historical, and he took us on the same route that we uh, that we went on, and uh, we made a stop at this, this at the Destrehan Plantation, and mm-hmm. he showed us where the uh, one of the people that we we uh, killed uh, was buried. I think it was a colonel. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we passed that cemetery. I don't yeah. know if anybody is, knew about it. Is that where you is wow. that where you showed me this big plaque like you can see from the road? When we were yeah, driving? yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So he took us on that route and he took us uh, all the way to the end. Now, we didn't quite get into St. Rose, uh, Louisiana, which is a few miles past where we stopped on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but that that was the uh, route that he took us on. And uh, uh, Leon is, you know, he's friends with my uh, with chapter and my daughter Naima and, and you know, mm-hmm. because they're, they're – Sort of in the same circle, art, you know, and uh, you know, uh, one of the stories about Leon is, you know, my wife, my wife, you know, Kadria, she's from mm-hmm. Texas, right? She's from Hamilton, right. Texas, and mm-hmm. uh, we went to a uh, reunion of hers, class reunion, and uh, who shows up? But Leon Waters and his wife and his sister, I think, and brother-in-law, <laughs> we come to find out that I think his brother-in-law were, was, went to school with my wife. And he, you know, he, he showed up out of the middle of nowhere. I never expected him to show up at her class reunion because we had been to many other class reunions in the past. 
But mm-hmm. uh, that that's uh, my limited uh, experience with uh, Leon. I've been in meetings with him and, and so forth, but uh, and I've seen him take people on tours around my uh, daughter's restaurant that they had up until a couple of years ago on uh, directly across the street from Congo Square, just where their mm-hmm. restaurant was, and they had the restaurant slash museum, uh, mm-hmm. Mardi Gras Indian Museum. And uh, right. he would bring people uh, from all over the country and uh, into their uh, restaurant and museum. And as a matter of fact, I think they're going to ha- uh, they're getting another museum. I'm not, I don't know the okay. full details, but anyway, uh, that's you know that's my uh, experience with uh, with Leon. And I had mm-hmm. I don't know I didn't, I didn't see him over the course of the uh, the uh, march. I'm not sure whether he's uh, whether he's you know whether he's ill or what, but uh, I just haven't seen him in a, in a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, he's got the hidden history tours, and and they have a website, um, hiddenhistory.us, and um, mm-hmm. and I guess you can um, make reservations for the tours. It sounds good. And he also has a, a Facebook page. How how old okay. is he? Okay, I think he may be a little bit older than I am. I think he may be about, maybe close to 80. I'm 76. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, he may be close to 80 years old. Um, you know, um, I don't know how much time you got, but, you know, I, uh, another experience, you know, that, that really motivated me uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to do this march uh, was, you know, my ancestors. Mm-hmm. And being yeah. a researcher in genealogy, you know, um, I, I I really, you know, I really, uh, uh, really got into this thing because of the research that I've been doing. And I, and I could feel spiritually what they went through, physically what they uh, went through. And uh, I'd just like to name a few if you've got, if you have time. Yeah. Yeah, we have time. Yeah, go ahead. That, uh, yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know that I've uh, memorized over the years that uh, that I've uh, researched, and uh, of course my mother Gladys O'Neill. Uh, she's married a few times. She's passed on. Uh, my father uh, Ralph Dawson Sr. Uh, my mother's father uh, Glenwood O'Neill. Uh, my grandfather, my uh, grandmother was Easter Jones. Her mother, uh, Easter Jones' mother, was uh, uh, Maggie Ridley. Her father was Cornelius Ridley. And her, um, her, her mother, Maggie's mother, was Betsy McConkie, and she married the Ridley. Uh, uh, his name was Kit Ridley. Kit Ridley uh, joined the uh, Union Army in 1864, and that's where he married my second great grandmother. Uh, after he joined the mother, and uh, after he joined the Union Army in uh, uh, Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to uh, my wife and I went to uh, Washington D.C. to the uh, Black Union Army Museum. And I got mm. a certificate uh, for him. They had him on record. And I walked. Mm. We walked across the street, and we uh, 
he's on the wall of the uh, subway in, uh, mm. across the street from the uh, museum. But anyway, mm. uh, that's as far back as I can go on my maternal side. Uh, Betsy, uh, his wife, Betsy McCunkey, uh, mother was Betsy McCunkey also. And that McCunkey name came from Scotland. So I can, you, you know, I got research on, on the white side all the way back because they had some pretty good records and we didn't. And uh, But we were able to get, I was able to get back to my great, great, uh, great grandmother, third great grandmother. Now, on my father's side, uh, uh, like I said, his name was Ralph Dawson. His father's name was James Dawson. Uh, his wife, my grandmother, was uh, Elnora Kenton. Uh, Elnora Kenton's mother was Martha Martin. So we came from the Martins. Uh, and her mother was uh, Patsy Martin, and her father was uh, Isaac Martin. Now, I have a cousin that just wrote a book, and uh, she, I just met her, you know, a few months ago. Uh, she had wrote this book on her uh, genealogy, her life, and growing up in my hometown of Plaquemine, Louisiana. And she mentions my great-great-grandmother in her book saying that that, that was her third-great-grandparents, uh, Isaac Martin and uh, uh, Patsy Martin. So I said, look, we got to get in touch with these. And just so happy she was coming down to Louisiana, and uh, we met up with each other. And, uh, uh, and she mentioned that Patsy Martin was a free person of color in, um, and I can't think of the name of this uh, uh, city in in Virginia, but it was it was a it was a city that had a lot of free people of color because uh, after the uh, revolution, after the American Revolution, uh, a lot of the uh, slave masters uh, decided to say we got to free these slaves because. Uh, we were fighting for our freedom, so we have to free the slaves that we have. So according to uh, my cousin, uh, she found uh, Patsy Martin in this town. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was in Virginia. I have it, I have it documented. So. But that, that's uh, my little uh, uh, genealogy history, and I wanted to pay, uh, I wanted to honor them uh, while mm-hmm. I had, you know, a listening uh, audience. Uh, right. Right. Uh, you know, and and um, let everybody know that you know my name is Ralph Abdul Aleem, and also known as Ralph Dawson Jr. from a little town south of uh, Baton Rouge called Plaquemine, Louisiana. And uh, Plaquemine, uh, the meaning of Plaquemine is persimmon. You know, the persimmons that we eat. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of persimmons along the bayous, which I was raised up on on the bayous and and the. Uh, that same Mississippi River that we marched on, you know, extended down to uh, Frackman, and uh, I used to walk up, so I was a little used to walking uh, uh, the levees. And uh, in those days, when I was growing up, we walked everywhere, we hitchhiked, and uh, and uh, that, you know, the march just brought all of that back into fruition. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I've had a very interesting uh, 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 period of uh, research on my ancestors and and, and uh, you know there was another ancestor that I didn't, didn't mention my on my father's side her name was um, um, Jack she was a Jackson 
and and uh, I had been researching it for the last 20 years, and all of a sudden, I decided to take the ancestor DNA about three years ago, and I didn't know too much about it, and uh, I didn't know how to navigate the uh, computer to find out, you know, who's who. But all, you know, you know, it, all of a sudden it came to me because I kept trying to figure out how all of these cousins relate. And uh, uh, I found some other people that was related to me that was related to my great-grandmother. And when I discovered her, because, I, you know, I was on a one-track uh, research, and I should have been on a two-track, uh, I discovered her being born in Mississippi, in Woodville, Mississippi, outside of Natchez. And I said, oh, this is uh, – and then I – shortly after I discovered where she was born – I discovered her family, huge family. So I have a brand new family because of uh, research and because of uh, DNA. Now that was ancestry DNA. Now my, we had my uncle, uh, Doctor Dawson. Uh, he's he was the uh, he was over the uh, medical thing at uh, at Southern University. He's also the, the doctor for the football team, and. Uh, now we had because he was the oldest in the family. We had him, or I had him take the uh, African ancestry DNA back in 2011, and uh, we discovered that uh, the Dawsons, well, they weren't Dawsons in Africa. They weren't Dawsons until they came to America. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we discovered that we came out of East Africa and Mozambique, which went back about 2,000 years. So all of that, you know. Uh, culminated uh, and all of that went through my mind when I was when I was doing this reenactment uh, all mm -hmm. the research that I was doing uh, uh, on this uh, uh, research and until I took the DNA and that, that really enhanced things and uh, as a matter of fact I got a call from my first cousin on my mother's side this morning he said guess what Ralph I got I found something you're going to be amazed at I said what he said Go on, go on uh, online and look at uh, who just took the DNA, and uh, come to find out it was another first cousin. Uh, uh, he's a million. Was called Oscar Million. Anyway, uh, uh, all of these matches that I've gotten, you know, it just confirms that, uh, you know, if you look, if, if you put your mind to it and research and and keep on researching. Uh, You'll find these uh, ancestors, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and uh, that, you know, that and and like I said in the beginning, uh, when we marched into Congo Square, that really was exhilarating, and uh, you know to see all the African Americans, you know, surrounding us and uh, marching uh, up to the uh, stage, that was, you know, that was the highlight of my. Uh, my participation in that in that march, and um, one other thing uh, uh, I want to bring out is my grandmother that raised me, my grandmother and my grandfather that raised me on, on my maternal side. Uh, she told me a story. She kept telling telling me and this story about an uprising in Natchez, Mississippi, right outside of Natchez, about 15 miles south of Natchez on Highway 61. And it, uh, she told me that uh, her grandparents or someone was involved in this insurrection. 
Natchez, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, I didn't think about too much about it. I said, oh, okay. Uh, but she kept telling us this. And um, a few years ago, and she told, us, she told me exactly how it happened. You know, they killed the uh, overseer, and they, they found him by a tree stump. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this research, and I went on Google or something. I forget how I found out about it. But anyway, this author wrote about the same story, the little story that she told me. She wrote a whole book on it. You know, even mm-hmm. the, uh, and I just discovered that recently, you know, that uh, uh, what the story that she told me, this white guy wrote a book on it. Um, uh, and I ordered the book from uh, Amazon, uh, I think, just before you came down. And I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to really read the whole thing. But but uh, all of that, you know, just uh, uh, made, you know, just motivated me to be in, in this march and, uh, and uh, uh, bring out our ancestors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, particularly for, the, you know, the personal connection. Um, so, Sister um, Aretha, um, yeah, closing closing comments. Freedom or death. Freedom or death. That's it. <laughs> Freedom or death. Freedom or death. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to, um, I wanted to uh, call the name of, um, of Ernest Gaines. Uh, Ernest J. Gaines, who um, he was born January fifteenth, same day as um, Dr. King, and and he passed the week of our um, our uh, slave revolt reenactment. He passed on November fifth, so I'm I'm so sure he was walking with us. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear so that. Um, I was going to mention yes. that hmm. I went to his funeral. We went to his funeral. Mm, yeah. And, uh, he, in Baton Rouge uh, this past Saturday. Okay. All right. You yeah. want to tell us about it? Um, yeah, well, the reason why we went is because I had, I used to do business up near where he lived at. I would go up and buy my pecans for my for my business and uh, at the factory, and uh, he lived on that same river, False River, in New mm. Road. Uh, he lived in Oscar, Louisiana, but it was two miles from where I was going to pick up my uh, pecans. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, someone told me that he lived at, at this place in Oscar, and I said, look, I'm going to try and go and see him. So yeah. his gate, he has, he has a gated uh, home and a uh, beautiful home. And he just, he just built a few years ago, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And uh, the gate just happened to be open. And I went there, and uh, and his wife was uh, greeted us. She didn't have any problem with us just dropping in, and uh, oh. she showed us the church that he uh, had moved to his to the back of his house that he attended uh, when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went there that that visit. Then another time I went in there and uh, talked to to the two of them. Uh, I brought my cousin and. My uncle, Dr. Dawson, to, uh, and they visited him also. But mm-hmm. the reason why I even, you know, I knew about him, but we started cross paths, you know, between 1953 and 1962 because he left Louisiana and went to move to Vallejo, California mm-hmm. in 19, 
53, I think, somewhere around in there. Anyway, I did the same thing. I moved from Louisiana to Vallejo, California. He went to uh, Vallejo JC, Vallejo Junior High. I mm-hmm. went to Vallejo Junior High. Really? He went in the Army. I didn't go in the <laughs> Army. But he, mm-hmm. when he left Vallejo, he went, he, he went to San Francisco State. Now, I didn't go mm-hmm. to San Francisco State, but he went to the Visadera Street. He lived on the Visadera Street in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I also lived on the Visadera Street in San Francisco. So it was sort of a and uh, uh, and I told him the story, and uh, he was amazed at it, you know. And and uh, as a matter of fact, I met his sister at the funeral because there was a couple at the funeral that I knew in California. That and I was wondering why they were at the funeral. And uh, mm-hmm. the the wife, she was uh, uh, she was friends of uh, uh, Ernest Gaines' sister. They grew up together. They went to school together. Mm-hmm. So that was my little experience. Um, with uh, Ernest Gaines, and I oh. met him. And, and matter of fact, uh, Cecily Tyson was at the funeral, and she spoke because right, of uh, yeah. the uh, yeah because of uh, autobiography of uh, Jane Pittman. And uh, right. I had I had met them once before at the Joy Theater on Canal Street, and about seven or eight years ago, they were together. He was getting some kind of uh, uh, recognition. And she happened mm-hmm. to be there, her and uh, Soledad O'Brien. Right. But, uh, anyway, right. that's that's. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was I was going to mm-hmm. mention that, but I I just forgot. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just love Ernest Gaines. Um, I like you know that he, um, you know, he bought the plantation that you know his family right. had had worked on. You know that that was his homestead, and, and right, I remember right. in California, um, his book was the book of you know, was the book uh, for California Reads, and it was a lesson mm-hmm. before dying. That particular book, and he wrote that book when he was in California, looking at San Quentin. That San Quentin was the view from his window, um, San mm-hmm. Quentin State Prison. And and mm-hmm. the book, you know, for those who might not know, it is of um, you know a, a person of African descent that was sentenced to die, and. Um, and and since you know there was there was no opportunity for the man to get justice, his 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 grandmother wanted him to die with dignity. Mm-hmm. Similar mm-hmm. you know to our ancestors that we were marching you know in their footsteps you know right. um, you know it was yeah. freedom or death and, and it was more like yeah. it, it it was like the intention you know they mm-hmm. you know it, you know they didn't have enough arms to beat you know these enslavers and the militia and and we weren't we weren't americans um we were you know africans they didn't recognize us as citizens so so the whole idea of you know of of claiming our 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 right to freedom you know even if you know we just had this one last stand you know was really important and so similarly you know with this book lesson before dying it's i think it's sort of in the same kind of uh intention, you know, that particular yeah. story, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, right, right. you know, the plantation sort of changed, you know, to the uh-huh. prison system. And, um, and, and, you know, we got a lot of people there that are serving, you know, natural life and, and, and also being executed, um, you know, right, right. by incarceration. So, so anyway, and then I mentioned um, the young person who was also shot 
the same day as um, Oscar Grant, and I just wanted to call his name. Uh, he was he was shot and killed January first, two thousand nine, and it was uh, Adolph Grimes the third. He was shot fourteen wow. times, uh, twelve times wow. in the back by this policeman who did not now, identify was himself. My God. This was in New Orleans. This was oh, in New oh. Orleans, the same day that Oscar Grant was getting killed in Oakland. This this young person was getting wow. killed. This young man who was in his twenties, he was being killed. A father as well in New Orleans, yeah, I and, I and I was in New Orleans that. that. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah, I was still in California. I hadn't moved back yet, but I mm-hmm. think I've heard about you know so many killings that were going on. You almost forget. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I, uh, I think I remember that uh, that happening. Uh, Grimes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Yeah, on to New Orleans, freedom or death. On to, yes, freedom or death. Freedom or death. Freedom or death. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, yeah, uh, safe travels, uh, my dear sister Arisa. You know, on your way home, you know, to Jamaica, and safe returns. You know, you know when you come back, and uh, yeah, if you want to join Thank us you on so Wednesday. Yeah, we'll be we'll be having another conversation at eight o'clock. It'll be our our third one of the series. And uh, thank yeah, thank you so and, much uh, for having me. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It was so great meeting you uh, on Thursday. You know, the day of the uh, the rehearsal. I flew in on Wednesday, and um, and 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 I was so happy, you know, to to meet you and the other other members of the army. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really felt like take- family. Uh-huh. Right. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Take care. So, all right. You too. And um, you know, share share the um, you know, the the conversation with others. I sent you the link. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Thank, Thank you so much. I right. will do that. All right. Okay, you take well, good care, both of you. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum, brother Aleem. Waalaikum assalam. Peace and blessings. <laughs> So we are going to conclude with um, one of my favorite songs uh, by Dimu Mayun. Uh, um, oh, actually, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, um, maybe All Blessed. Yeah. I'm so motivated to make it. It's all blessed. All blessed. All blessed. All blessed. All blessed. If you know me, 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 then you know it's all blessed. My cup runneth over, you can have the rest. motivated to 
going to go ahead and just rebroadcast the uh, November 20th, uh, the first conversation. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. So we should certainly pause and uh, assess our situation and uh, figure out other options. We are so excited today to have... Um, in the studio, um, Dr. Uh, Camelia Moses Okpodu, who is going to be joined by others, uh, members of the Army that um, you probably read about it, that participated in the Slave Rebellion reenactment um, on November 8th through 9th um, in New Orleans, uh, marching along the German coast, uh, what was formerly the German coast, um, into New Orleans, uh, sort of reenacting the uh, the great uh, slave uprising of 1811, which uh, was the largest in uh, United States history. So, um, yeah, good morning, uh, Camelia. Um, so far, you are the first person to join us, and um, we read a little bit of your bio, and then we could talk about this historic reenactment, this historic event, and what brought you to it. Um, uh, Dr. Um, Opodu is uh, a professor of biology and dean of arts and sciences at Xavier University in Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, at that. She was professor from 2003 to 2018 and former chair of biology 2003 to 2008 at Norfolk, Norfolk uh, State University and the 2007-2008 American Council of Education Fellow she was the second director of the DIA Design Intelligence Community Center for Academic Excellence at Norfolk State University. And uh, you can read a whole lot about her <laughs> uh, on, on her wiki. <laughs> so um, there's a whole lot more to your life than what I read. If you want to add to that, which would, ter- you know, which would certainly um, maybe let our audience know what, what drew you to um the Slave Rebellion reenactment, and the day that uh, we met, 
um, I think uh, we rode the bus. Did we ride the bus yes. together? Yeah, we rode the bus together. Yeah, and that was um, that was on the Thursday, and and it was so cool because uh, we left out at 10:30 from where we were staging at the um, at the high school, and um, and and we and you actually poured libations, which was awesome because everyone, all the different um, cells didn't necessarily um, have libations as well as sage, you know, sort of clearing the air and purifying the intention, which was really cool. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, good morning, sister. It's good to join you. And um, I'm glad that I was the first to be in the number. I'm excited about this opportunity to talk with you and your audience about exactly what has been driving me for actually the last about 28 years I've been involved in um, these types of reenactments. Um, I'm, my last name uh, is Nigerian, but I'm not Nigerian by birth. I'm Nigerian by choice. I married someone from Nigeria, and uh, I kept my name. Um, so I am Opodu, I, although I was born Camelia Grace Moses in Portsmouth, Virginia, uh, and raised between um, North Carolina and South Carolina. So I have a very interesting upbringing in that um, I had the best of all worlds. I had a a biological parent, and then I had an uncle who raised me for part part of my life, and were very influential and um, and supportive. I have always loved nature. Um, I've always been a person who be out uh, an outdoorsman, I guess. Um, so I started out in 4-H, learning about plants and things of that. And so when I went to college, I actually stayed in the area of plant physiology and biochemistry. And but I was trying to learn new techniques of how to improve foods and food production. So I actually work in the area of molecular biology. And when I was a young faculty member at Hampton University, um, I got involved with the Emancipation um, Oak Project, which if you look, if you Google my name, you can find my work research on that. And that was a ethnobotany type research that I did, trying to show. Um, uh, tree fraternity, I guess you would say, showing the relationship of some of the other trees in the area um, that um, that were uh, related to the Emancipation um, Oak. As you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was read in the Hampton Roads area near Hampton University's campus, and some people in the community um, told me about the fact that there were some trees that the city was earmarking to to destroy, and they had. Um, anecdotal evidence that those trees were related to the emancipation oak, and I just kind of showed that it did by using um, DNA mapping, um, DNA testing to show that those trees were most likely related. So I got into the once I did that, I got into this group called the Contraband um, Historic, Historic Society, which was um, read, held um, led by my late friend um, Jerry Hollis, who was a phenomenal person. And I learned about the contraband slaves at Fort Monroe and became a part of that society and participated in several reenactments while I was at Hampton. So when I got to New Orleans and I learned about this by going to a um, conversation with Dred Scott, it just, when he said it was going to do it, first I didn't think I could participate, so I just gave some money to support the effort. And then I found out that I could just participate on one day. And then so I came out and I was so fortunate to have met you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dred Scott's uh, vision. Um, I believe he um, 
he was working on this for like at least three years or so. Um, this idea of of staging, you know, restaging this um, this important um, moment in in history, um, you know, for this country, but also for people of African descent, because there's a not not a lot known about resistance to enslavement. I mean, how how could a people that outnumber their captors just submit? you know, to to bondage, right? And so, Correct. you know, this this story is just amazing because, I mean, before it, I hadn't even known there was a German coast. Like, so everyone, literally everyone, all European nations, as well as others in other parts of the world, benefited from the capture of Africans. And what was really horrible about the German coast was that um, they were um, – uh, they raised sugar cane and made, you know, and processed sugar, cane sugar, which was a real grueling and exhaustive process that basically, you know, an, uh, an African person might live just like six years, and then they would get yeah, more wow. from another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like people think, oh, they were so strong. No, African people were just like regular people. What they were doing was just working them to death and then getting some more. And right, people were right. people were being worked to death around like by the time you were thirty, forty, you were an old person. Yeah. Yes. Well I read mm-hmm. I read somewhere, I think it might have been might have been a CNN report that he actually Dred Scott's been working on this for six years. I it was okay. just by happenstance that I met him. So as the dean of the College mm-hmm. of Arts and Science at Xavier, um our faculty are very much involved in putting things on for the community. So this was a community forum of, for, for, by the arts department, Dr. Ron Boucher, who, um, who had invited him. And mm-hmm. um, so trying to show my support, because my background is biochemistry. I don't want the faculty to feel that I'm being partial to the chemistry and biology department, because they bring in speakers that I often go here because it's also involved in my research area. But part of my, but part of me, I also um, have a very much interest in the arts. Um, I, as an undergraduate, I was working on a, a minor in music. I never finished it, um, but I did take a lot of music theory classes. So the art, artsy part of my being, I wanted to be there because I was really interested in learning more um, uh, about the the reenactment. And so I was blown away. They had another gentleman there who was from the Whitney Plantation, um, mm-hmm. who gave yeah, a review of uh-huh. what slavery was, what slavery would have been like. And then it just intrigued me, because coming from the East Coast, we don't learn. We learn about the Louisiana Purchase, and that's about it. Okay, um, we really don't learn much, much about the middle of the country's um, history. So unless you do your own, um, you know research, you don't really get that much. So I was familiar, but not as familiar um, when, I, when I got involved, I started learning more and um, was really, really intrigued by the whole, just the whole concept, you know. I, as we were mm-hmm. walking that day, I, I you know, I, I told you earlier, I don't exercise very, I walk from my office to, to Xavier, which is not even a half of a, half of a mile, right? So that's mm-hmm. about all the walking I do. <laughs> I used to be an athlete, so I still have some of my um, muscle memory, but I really have a knee problem. And that day, my knee didn't bother me at all. And I walked, I think it was 
we walked through the cause um the spillway i think that was four miles and we um something like four miles and i i didn't feel a i didn't feel an ache or pain <laughs> i don't know what was driving me but i think the libation did help um and i was joking and saying you know our regiment probably wasn't the only ones that survived because we were the ones who, pay, who honored our ancestors. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, uh, doing acupuncture um, uh, treatments leading up to uh, my taking the plane from, uh, from San Jose, California, to New Orleans, where the new airport was, you know, I was among the first people to fly into the, the new airport at 11.30 p.m. Uh, that evening, um, the day before, um, I, just, I guess that was the Wednesday of the week, and um, and and so I, I really, I told, I asked my therapist, like, okay, I really, I really need to be able to walk, so I need you to, like, help me get my body together, <laughs> like, you know, is, is it possible, am I going to be able to walk, because I definitely didn't, I had a, a plan too, but I didn't want to, like, be standing on the sidelines watching everybody go by, but we've been joined by another uh, member of the Army, <laughs> good morning, good morning, hello, hello, are you another member of the uh, uh, the army? Or are you just listening? Because I can't hear you. I don't hear anybody either. Yeah, they're 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 there's somebody in the studio, but they're not speaking. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's keep on talking. <laughs> okay. All righty. So, um, yeah, I was um. I you know we got this really nice little book and and uh, some of us did um, they actually ran out and uh, and the website is really great because uh, people can actually um, go to the website um, for the slave rebellion reenactment and you can um, you can look at uh, video clips and you can read and you can see photographs of of the army and uh, and so this. Um, uh, the Slave Rebellion reenactment, um, as you mentioned, was conceived by artist Dred Scott, who is in New York now, but he um, he's from Chicago, Illinois, and uh, was developed in collaboration with artist and filmmaker John Acumfra, and um, it was produced by Antenna, a New Orleans-based multi-arts nonprofit organization, along with a host of community partners and advisors across Southeast Louisiana and beyond. And so since you're in, in New Orleans, um, were you able to go to any of the um, uh, the sewing circles and, um, you know, strategy sessions and things like that? I was not um, able to go to any of the sewing circles, which is what I wanted to do. Um, only thing I could do at the time, because as a dean, as you can imagine, my schedule is um, very hectic. Um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to participate that um, that day in the march um, in the in the war, um, but um, what I did do was I kind of like researched the clothing. You know, they gave me a costume that was, and I don't know if anybody caught it. So I I had a, a Tignon type of head scarf. I didn't have a red. I don't know if you noticed my my head, my hair, my hair dress. And um, so that is not, tignons are not something that we did um, uh, 
that, uh, or tie-ons or not something that we did on the um, on the East Coast. Okay, that's truly a head covering that was influenced by the French and the Creole people here. Um, also, the African Gile. So it probably had something to do with that. So so um, generally where we were, where I am from, we had uh, more of a kerchief type of a headdress. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe it's the, the type of uh, winters we have. But in any of it, the head covering we wear that I wore was more what a Creole woman would have worn. Now, you, you know what I look like. Um, so you <laughs> okay. know that I'm definitely not um, going to be considered Creole necessarily, although I'm learning that word means so many things to so many people. I went to the Baton Rouge Museum, and there was an exhibit about what does it mean to be Creole, and I was very, I was very uh, surprised by the wide and uh, broad definitions of what it could be. So in, on, in honesty, I guess I could be. But, um, but I thought it was very interesting that they had to conceal their hair um, and, and any free woman of uh, uh, African descent, uh, and uh, there was a law what they could, what they must have, they had to do with their hair. And I also mm-hmm. had very, um, they gave me a costume that was uh, intentional to be to to signify my status, and I thought that was funny because they did that because they told me I was the dean, and they wanted me to stand out. <laughs> so oh. I found that if you notice my if you notice my <laughs> skirt. I had a very uh-huh. expensive-looking skirt on. Do you recall that? Yeah, you, you actually did. Said it was, yeah, I have it. And it was because they gave it to me intentionally for me to look more of a certain status. Mm. And so, so there was classism, huh? My wrap of my hair was done <laughs> a certain way, which I found oh. kind of interesting that, that they probably mm-hmm. did have people who were free people who joined. And I also, mm-hmm. if you recall, I told you that since I had been doing these reenactments, I had developed a character that I had been researching since 1996. I wouldn't call her mm-hmm. a character. I will call her a person that I have discovered who I, I see as my inner self in some ways. And maybe it's an ancestor of mine. But um, when I started doing these reenactments and, and um, or participating in the uh, slave reenactments in Hampton, I called myself Callie. And um, I described Callie in this case because we want to know why a slave from Hampton Roads from Freedom's Fortress that was way down in New Orleans, a free woman, and I, mm-hmm. and I told that I came down and I heard y'all were having an insurrection and I wanted to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. um, just feeling that person as I walked through and imagining what they must have seen, and I looked over when we first started out on our on our right-hand side, the, we could see the Mississippi. I don't know if you recall that. We, we started mm-hmm. on the levee. When we got on the yeah. levee, we came down that street, and when we got up on the levee and we walked about uh, a, a quarter of a mile, we saw on our on our um, right-hand side uh, the water from Mississippi, which was a, kind of above us. Do you, you recall that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I, I think I looked at you and said, oh, my God, and we saw the swamp, and I was like, you know, this levee that we're walking on is uh, is pretty new. You know, in mm-hmm. in fact, it's been built up. But how was it when they were there? You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure they had to walk through some part of that had to be swamp. And then the yeah, time of year yeah. we chose to walk. You know, so mm-hmm. I kept thinking about that. How much just wanting to be free had to propel you to walk through that? 
Mm-hmm. But sometimes right. I guess when you're sick and tired, you're sick and tired. <laughs> mhm. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see if um, cause this this is um, Delon Thomas um that called in and we couldn't hear her. Delon, um, can you hear? Can you can I uh, you say something now? Cause I, I couldn't hear you. Delon, I can't hear you still. Press one so I can so you can I can hear you. Gradually, I don't know. Yeah, because I, I, I know who this person is, and then um, this might be uh, Fred. Is this you, Fred? It is. Oh, super. Excellent, excellent. Um, you're joining um, uh, Camelia and um, Delon, hopefully. Um, oh, how, how come I'm hearing myself? <laughs> no, go ahead. That was me. Okay. <laughs> so Fred uh T McWilliams um uh joining us from the Bay Area uh as in um maybe Oakland but definitely um, Oakland. 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 Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so t- introduce yourself to um to our audience and tell us, you know, why you and your wife and a lot of other folks from the San Francisco Bay Area <laughs> met up you know, and um, on the German coast to march to New Orleans, you know, freedom uh, or death. Freedom you know? or death. Um, freedom or yes. death. <laughs> well, I actually I actually came to it by accident. Um, I'm a cyclist here in the Bay Area, and uh, one of my um, cycling partners mentioned that he was not going to be available to ride the week, uh, the weekend of uh, uh, the reenactment, mm-hmm. and that he would be in New Orleans. So, you know, I just casually asked, oh, "Are you just hanging out with uh, his wife? Um, you know, just to visit?" And he, and he, no, he said, "No, I'm participating in this um, slave revolt reenactment." And I, you know, immediately pounced. I said, "Oh." Can anybody do this? And how do you sign up? And and this was probably two weeks before. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the week, <laughs> I had I had gotten signed up. I um, knew I was going to be in Houston visiting my daughter. So um, I just we just went down a little early. We actually drove over to uh, New Orleans mm-hmm. for a costume fitting um, mm-hmm. and met some of the uh, costume designers and, you know, got laid out. And then um, a week later, we were we were in New Orleans on the, I think we arrived on the 6th for the rehearsal. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what flowed from there. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me say, it was, it was, it was, it, was the most moving thing I have done since I attended the inauguration of Barack Obama. Um, mm. That in itself was a very moving event. People were crying, as you imagine, and, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And, and, the, and the African uh, American uh, black community was very moved. But the slave reenactment was a thing that 
really touched your soul. I was sharing with friends when I got back home that during the march when we were up on the levee or particularly on that first night when it got really cold, mm-hmm. um, I thought to myself that I am walking with the ancestors. And I can tell you a bunch of people out there would not have been out in that cold, right, except for they felt they were marching with the ancestors, that the, that the enslaved people in the rebellion would not have turned around because of the cold. Um, so we're not going to turn around because of the cold. It was, it was a very moving event. Mhm. Yeah. Yes. 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 It was, and it was really cold. Um. And um. Yeah. Um. Because that was um. That was the day that um. There were you know there were a few uh, skirmishes right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and there was a battle in the field, and it was getting dark. <laughs> and it was getting dark. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It was yeah. getting very dark. So it's like you know, it was like we couldn't hardly see the battle. We knew, you know, we knew from the history that it was going to happen. That's we right. knew what the result was going to be, you know. But it's just so interesting, yeah. you know, that um, these these African, you know, men and women, um, uh, but mostly men uh, from from the reading. Um, but ours, you know, sort of reflected um, uh, a new history um, insofar as diversity of who was there um, at mm-hmm. the battle. You know, um, just, you know, victory or death, you know, sort of like marching, what, how many miles? Um, uh, what, 26 miles stretch along the Louisiana's historic river road. Uh, That's this, correct. This area once lined with approximately 350 slave labor camps, uh, euphemistically referred to as plantations. And plantations. Again, from our booklet. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I don't know how so many miles they, y'all walked, but I know I walked uh, uh, close to 12 miles from Laplace uh, mm-hmm. to 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 um, Narco to Laplace, and uh, I yeah. had no idea that we had walked that much. Because as you said, it was cold. But I don't know what was mm-hmm. where my mind was. I guess I really had it was like you know, I'm I'm doing this. This is how this on to New Orleans. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. right on yeah. to New Orleans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. and then there were those you know who were mounted you know on horseback and 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 yeah. there were flags and people had all kinds of armament. Like I had. A cane knife, which I thought was a machete, but they said no, this is not a machete. It's like okay, no problem. It can still cut people's heads <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> and then people had muskets, and some people fired their muskets, and yeah, in in the big battle, and and some yeah. you know had the honor of um of of chopping off the well, they thought they killed him, but they didn't kill him. Um, uh, the uh, the guy at the Andre plantation. Um, who ended yeah. up sounding the alarm for everybody else? Yeah, and um, so I don't know. Um, did either of you participate in any of the skirmishes? I I know um, Camilla, you and I didn't because we were on the ten thirty bus. Yes, I did not. No, I, I did not. not too. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was yeah. too much for me. So I, I, I mm-hmm. psychologically, you know, thinking about this whole 
this whole thing. I thought having a weapon, and even though it's not a real weapon, um, if you notice, I had a a stick that looked like a pitchfork, but really was a piece of wood, and I called it my uh, conjuring stick. Do you remember that? Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was conjuring up the the evil spirit, <laughs> but um, I didn't want to have. I have a, I have personal feelings about, you know, guns and things like that, weapons. So I didn't want to do it. So I stayed back. But one of our faculty members that I tried to reach out to her this morning to let you let her know that you were doing this. She may be teaching class. Um, Dr. Tia Smith, uh, she led a group and she was one of the people who was in the fight reenactment. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. she's and looking at her, she's probably probably five foot one and if she's that tall, I'm five four and I don't think she's tall as I am. And she just kind of gave me that either Sojourner Truth or Harriet Tubman kind of kind of vibe that you know I'm going in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're joined by another person. This person's in New Orleans. They've got the same prefix that you do. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's Baba Lupe Gray. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you all feeling today? Oh, we're we're good. We're on to New Orleans. Freedom or death, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we just had our election results in here in, New, in Louisiana. And I was, I was sitting, you know, I'm new to the state, so I'm from Virginia. I've lived in Virginia for the last 15 years. But as the as the polls were coming in, I was literally, literally thinking, on to New Orleans, freedom or death, <laughs> and praying that, that people would make the right choice. <laughs> so. Yeah. Join us. Yeah. Join us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, Baba Luther, you actually, um, you know, you met with Dred Scott, um, like, really way earlier in the planning, because he had, Dred Scott told me in an interview before the march, um, you know, um, into New Orleans, that um, he had had different dates, you know, planned to to stage the the uh, state rebellion reenactment, and um, and I was just reading um, uh, in um, American Uprising um, the untold story of America's largest slave revolt by Daniel uh, Rasmussen. Um, while I wait for the um, the Thrasher book on to New Orleans to come. I'm still waiting for it to arrive from the community bookstore. Um, that he, um, I was just thinking, like, if it had been in January, because in January when this happened in 1811, um, I think on January 8th was the beginning of it, it was like pouring rain and muddy and cold. And and I'm <laughs> thinking, like, I mean, I can't <laughs> complain, you know, at all. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. The, I'm glad they didn't choose. Uh, I think you know over the years they were thinking about doing it in January, <clears throat> and then they saw that I, I don't know they just uh, then they moved into November. So um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a, 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 a logistically it was a good move to do because like you say, at the beginning of January it's just so cold and people they were talking about sleeping outside and things like that. So. Um, I think that the planning uh, came together pretty well as when they chose the dates of November 8th and 9th. Mm-hmm. 
Right, yeah. So so tell us about, you know, um, your experience because you were sort of like um, uh, facilitating, you know, the drumming and the percussion and and then we were chanting and singing and, and then you were the MC um uh on the stage uh when we when we got to New Orleans to Congo Square. So tell us about you know, about your work and, and what drew you to this and you know, since you're like one of the inside planners, why don't you tell us how it, you know, sort of came together? Well, um I don't know if I was an inside planner, but, uh, you know, with maybe two years ago or something, I got, I, you know, I had met Dred, Dred Scott. He had been coming in town to, to start to organize and meet with Leon Waters and, you know, everybody uh, in the community who were working, who, who had dedicated so much time and energy and research to the 1811 slavery vote. So he, uh, he wanted to come to my house, and I think at this point the way we were to invite people was the first thing was that we were supposed to ask someone would, could they keep a secret mm-hmm. and then because I think this is what they this is what the slave uh, of the, in 1811 this is what was done it was word of mouth between the Africans who were on these plantations and it was like we're going to plan a revolt but can you keep a secret so then you ask other people and you have to ask them will they keep a secret so that's how the beginning of it was uh, as far as reaching out to folks. And so I, I told him, uh, yeah, I would like to be involved. He said, why? I said, because I thought it was a crazy idea, and uh, and I thought that uh, me being a drummer, I'm very, I guess I'm very adventurous, and I love history, so I, I told him, yes, I could keep a secret. And so then I proceeded to try to invite other people as well. So that's kind of how it began, and then at some point, as we got closer to the date, then that's when the, the larger ask went out into uh, the general public as far as people joining the revolt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like the idea of you know the person to person as opposed to like you know sending out this massive email <laughs> or right, exactly. or you know phone tree thing, but it was really. Um, you know how Facebook says, you know, friend and then friend of friend and then friend of friend of friend. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, so then eventually you don't know who, who knows you because you don't know them. Um, this was a real opportunity, um, t- you know, to sort of look at revolt and rebellion as an intimate act, right? I mean, these people knew each other, you know. Um, you know, they met um, you know, clandestinely, you know, um, because at this particular time of the year, um, you know, people are getting ready to, to have parties and stuff, you know, um, I forgot right. what they called it, but it's preceding Mardi Gras, and then after that, you know, you have Lent and Repentance and yeah, all that other kind of They call it Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that's when the Epiphany, the Feast, the Feast of the Epiphany was, and that mm-hmm. happens in January, so that, that was the time that they planned the attack, right? Right. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, when people weren't paying attention. Mhm. Yeah. And then and then the weather um you know, it it really helped, you know, that the weather was so um uh so, you know, cold and and it was storming and all that and 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 so as the um you know, as as the men, you know, marched, you know, by these various, you know, farms and larger holdings um, you know, people would join them, <laughs> and others would run, 
and and you know and tell and tell the white folks, um, oh, you know, you need to you know, um, you need to evacuate. And it was really interesting, sort of reading about some of these white folks, the arrogance of them, and 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 the way they looked at African people as as non non human beings, non people, which sort of fueled their arrogance. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, if you you can just only imagine how our, our ancestors were worked to death for no money at all, and so. What did they have to lose? You know, I think that's what the chant really kind of uh, exposes is that what do we have to lose? It's our, you know, it's either freedom or death. We we can't just keep. And I think also Desalon, he was of Haitian descent, you know, and the Haitian mm-hmm. Revolution had already broke out in Haiti. So, I, and I think that uh, he might have been inspired if he knew about that. But, you know, I think sometimes there's a portal in the universe when uh, things happen with, inside of a portal. And I think that was one of those times. I think sometimes people say these portals happen the first 20 years of a century. And oh. the, pace and change, the pace of change accelerates. And so uh, this happened within that portal, and I think we're in the same portal today. I think that's why it resonates so well. Hmm. Oh, how interesting. First uh, 20 years of a century. Wow. Have, yeah. you ever, have, you ever heard, have you ever heard of that theory? No, but I like it. I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah, this is that's really nice. And then next year, next year is the twentieth. You know, it's like 2020. So exactly, the, the portal the is, is that, in, in, mm-hmm. well. Well, this this was a portal based on the Roman calendar. So this was a portal based on uh, European uh, thought. But uh, mm-hmm. world powers knew this, and so world powers uh, b- believe this theory, and so. What the 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 theory? I mean, the uh, the strategy was whoever could control the planet by the 20th year of a century could dictate the next 80 years. Mm. And so that's why you look in history, you see World War One, Battle of 1812. You go back in European, you know, European history, you see a lot of these struggles because, and we we're in that portal now because you see what's happening on the planet Earth now with China, Russia, the United States. But then you look at Africa. Africa right now has over 1.5 billion people. The population will double within 20 years, and the majority of children born on the planet Earth in the 21st century will be born in Africa. So all of these, all of this whole shift is happening. The question is, who will, who, who will, will who, what power can really give vision and a movement for the next 80 years? And I don't think it should be Europe. If Africa has the most population and we have a diaspora, why should China, Russia, and the United States and other world powers like that, why should they be the ones that control the planet when the majority of the people will be non-white? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, right. that's, I think that's the significance of the time, and we're in that portal right now, and I think that's why that, that, uh, the march was so good, but I think that's why we see so many movements around in the African diaspora and on the planet itself is that there's a feeling that something has to change. We just can't allow things to keep going like the, the way they're going. Mm-hmm. Can I say something? This is Camelia, cause, uh, uh, and this is, this is my personal opinion, right? Because I was reading up on um, the, uh, who started, re- who was the leaders in the revolt, and um, the gentleman, what was it, this long, uh, Charles, what was his uh-huh. first name? I can't remember Anyway, right. yeah, there was a lot. That, mm-hmm. there was no record, uh, that there was no record that he ever lived anywhere other than 
than um, Louisiana. And it's mm-hmm. from so his parents or whoever his owners may have come from somewhere outside of the United States, but there's no record that he ever um, lived outside of Louisiana. So to me, it says this is something that's in our DNA. There's some of us yeah. just are not going to. We're hotwired to know that enough is enough. Um, and so maybe he heard the stories, but I think that nowadays how we describe something that's in our in our environment that is not necessarily genetically coded, we talk about it being epigenetics, meaning that the environment around us has influenced how our gene expression gets played out. And mm-hmm. memories, um, our DNA has memories. I, mitochondria, when I do the DNA, I was telling you earlier, like I was doing the test on the trees, doing the relatedness, the phylogenetic relatedness, and the epi, uh, and the genetic relatedness of those trees to the emancipation. Oh, what I was looking at was the mitochondrial DNA and the chloroplast DNA in these, from these trees and seeing how they were inherited. The same way with us. You know, our, our, we have memory. And, and I, I really just think that, you know, some of us um, are influenced by the environment such that we don't mind, you know, stepping forward and saying enough is enough. So it, I, I, and I think that we still have, you know, Martins and Malcolms and others uh, around us right now. The environment is going going to get sick and tired, and, and Fannie Lou's, and we're going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And those of us who have the fortitude will stand for it and say we're not going to go there. So, so I just like to think that, in some ways, it's inherited in a way that the environment makes it come out and be expressed. Mhm. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you're exactly. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. I was um reading reading from our our book, um you know that we like the little um I don't know they called it a red book, you know from Cameron Mile. <laughs> so we have a we have a blue book. <laughs> and um yeah, and on on page 24 it talks about, you know, sort of continuing what you said about Luther about the recruitment process. And and this is what happened to you too, Fred, cuz your friend told you about this. So it was definitely, you know, word of mouth. So imagine being on a plantation in 1810 and wanted to get free and you may not you may have heard rumors of an uprising but you also know that some of your fellow enslaved people might not share your courage or conviction while working alongside recently arrived slaves you would not have said you were organizing the uprising but you might have kept an ear out for those who spoke of running away in hushed tones individuals who might just join your plan and uh and then I just wanted to call the names of a few of of the leaders, uh, Charles Dessalon, which whom we've already mentioned, Gilbert, uh, Kwamina, and I and I read that his name was actually probably uh Kwabana, um, you know, from the Akan and Atine, uh, Jessamine and Marie Law and, and so many others. And um so I wanna talk a little bit more about, you know, about because I think, uh, Baba Luther, you might have been at a skirmish, because none of us were. And I wonder if you could talk about that. And and the whole idea of the drumming, because the drums were a part, and the flags were a part of the original uh, march to New Orleans for freedom or death. You mean, was I there at the beginning of the, of when we started on the Friday, you mean? 
Uh, yeah. Were you at any? Did you were you at any of the skirmishes? Um, did you see any of yeah. the uh, the plantation owners killed or injured? Yeah, yeah. I was there in the beginning. I think <clears throat> that's when we were in St. John Parish. We went to the, I think the Andrew Plantation, mm-hmm. and we uh, we walked from a certain point to the Andrew Plantation, and then uh, we attacked uh, everyone in the, in the uh, Army of the Enslaved, we, we ran at the plantation and we got to the road of it. And we were instructed to go around to the back of the house. So some Africans went through the house. We came around to the back of the house. And, uh, so, and then so those who were who were appointed to go through the house came out and said, I think they killed someone. And then they said uh, the owner had left and they had took the, they, we, we had taken the plantation. Everybody cheered. So that was like the first, that was the first act of uh, the whole thing. And then from there we we continued through, you know, that neighborhood. And um, what was really a beautiful moment was this is like little little streets. It wasn't like, you know, urban streets. Maybe like just normal neighborhood kind of streets. We passed a school. And so mm-hmm. it was an elementary school. All uh, majority of all I saw were black kids. And so the school had brought all the kids, all the children to the fence as we walked by with 200, 300 mm-hmm. people. And I thought that was a great moment as well for them to witness, you know, to, for the teachers to have the opportunity to go back in class and, you know, share the history of what happened in their own community. So you're right about how these things can spread because, you know, when you're young and you see these things, sometimes they, they make an impression on you later in life and they can influence, uh, you, you know, what you want to be in life and how, how hard you want to work to be uh, to go at it. But I think on, on the, one, of my, one of the funniest moments for me was on day two, I think we went to St. John's Parish. And I think, you know, in St. John Parish, the, the, the parish president is an African-American woman. St. Charles Parish was more conservative, and they had a little more pushback as far as access to do things in St. Charles Parish. So on that Saturday morning, you were with us probably about then, Juan, we were walking through a neighborhood, mm-hmm. and there were, like, families. It was a white neighborhood, like middle class, maybe. It wasn't, it wasn't affluent, but it, had, it was homeowners. It was single homes. And so mm-hmm. people, some folks were on the grass. They were welcoming us and waving. And, you know, we had some reporters with us asking questions and some of, some of our folks talking to the people and handing out information what this was about. And the funniest thing to me was this little boy, he was like maybe three years old, little white boy. He was had no shirt on. He was on his front porch. He just waved like it was a parade to him, you know. He's waving. His, his, the door to his house is open. And then you hear his dad come out of the, from the back of the house with no shirt on, he had this really kind of crunchy accent. He said, boy, get your ass in the house. He grabbed that little boy, threw him in the house, and slammed the door. And, man, <laughs> those of us who were passing the house at that moment, we just busted out laughing because it was like it showed the innocence of young people, and it shows mm-hmm. the racism of their parents. You know what I'm saying? Right, So I think yeah. the whole march was little moments like that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, yeah. I didn't get to see very many people. I saw a few children. Actually, I remember the first, only participated in day one. And I remember a father and a son, On um, we passed by a certain area, and it looked as if he came out, and they came up to us, and they were taking pictures. It was, a, it was an African-American man and his son. And first mm-hmm. I thought about two things. You know, when children, we, when we learn about slavery in school, if we learn about slavery in school, we get some misinformation. I know that I remember challenging um, the Virginia school system when my oldest daughter, who's now 33, was in like the fourth grade because of some misinformation and inaccuracies they had in their textbook that 
For example, I remember distinctly having to go to the school and explain to the teacher that Africa is a continent and not a, uh, not a country, and that uh, slavery, slaves in Virginia in particular were not um, there by choice. It was not like something they decided to do and they could come and go. So it was just like this, the way they presented slavery. And then they also did a lot of things in the school that I thought were to not to say that you are I often say to students, think about this is that they survived because we knew we were coming. That was hard conditions in which um, you talked about before, Wanda, that that this was not a picnic for us and or going out, you know, uh, gingerly. That this was real hard work and people were not. We got sick and we died just like everyone else who was in those particular areas. But I think what this does for me, and when I saw those kids looking at us, that we showed a, a, an example of self-efficacy where we got out and we decided and we reminded them that we were not dorsal people who were sitting in and that there were people among us and that they have that in their background who decided that they were going to stand up for their own freedom. And so that mm -hmm. to me is powerful when young people can see us in our own spaces. Representation is important. It's not just equity, but being re represented in a way so you can see yourself so that you could have self-efficacy. So when the children, I was looking through the photos and I saw those little kids standing on the fence looking at y'all, I thought hopefully somebody, it transferred to them that these were, this, this was my ancestry and people fought so that I could have free, a free, free life. So I, 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 to me that's very powerful. As an educator here at Xavier, that's one of the things I think about. As the dean of the college, I'm the dean for the, for the College of Arts and Sciences that when people see me, they see representation, and they also hopefully see that they can also be in this area, and that they also can fight for what is just and humane. So I thought it was one of the most powerful pictures that I saw was the kids standing on the gates looking at y'all. And I wish that day mm -hmm. I could have been there. But I, um, I'm thankful that you mentioned it, because it, it is a very, it's a very powerful image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I remember, um, Twice uh, I saw um, African American father with his sons, you know, pull over on the side of the road, and 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 they would watch us, you know, procession by, you know, and and they were like the, the folks that were mounted, they were like closer to the road than we were. We were up higher on the levee, and and I just thought that was really great because there were long long stretches where we didn't see anything but factories, and I was just wondering. Um, uh, if you know, um, if anyone wants to speak to the landscape, how it's changed. You know, there. You know, the farms are gone. The plantations, not all of them, but you know, some of the the bigger, more historic ones are still there. But there are a lot of petrochemical plants, like all along, spewing this horrible-looking noxic gases. You know, um, to the left as we're marching. And then to the right, you know, we had we saw like the levee, and we saw the Mississippi further out, um, and yeah, it was just it was just kind of kind of scary just thinking about, you know, the the quality of life of the people that live there in this particular area um, now on River Road. Wanda, this, this is Fred. Uh huh. And so one of the things that um, what you just mentioned actually provoked a conversation when we um, had a lunch stop on, on top of the levee. Mm -hmm. And I shared with people how back here in, um, in California, if you go over to the city of Richmond, 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so on the lower end of Richmond, it runs right up against the uh, gas refineries um, that they have over there in um, in the in, over by Point Richmond, and mm-hmm. then the one that's over right underneath the Cardenas Bridge, and there's, mm-hmm. there's for years there has been an ongoing battle. Um, it with it that the community has had with those refineries because, you know, people in that area, which are mostly African-Americans, experience higher levels of cancer, higher levels of um, asthma. And mm-hmm. while the companies, of course, deny that there's any connection, um, um, the, the people in the community are real clear for them that they don't suffer like the people who live just a few miles uh, east and north of those refineries. So it's, it's, a continuing, it's a continuance of the connection of the treatment of black people in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah I was hoping that um, Baba Luther's friend, um, Pat, would be able to join us because um, he has led – um, well, he has an organization that addresses this um, environmental pollution, and I think they shut down one of these plants, but, you know, you, we see how many more there are to go um, because they were everywhere. As we're walking to the left, that's what was over there. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think they call it that, that, they call that area Cancer Alley, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. of all the uh, pollutants uh, uh, <clears throat> that those plants uh, produce, like he, he can just—I think you can see over like hundreds of years how the plant, the, the plantations of uh, the 17 and 1800s has now, uh, you know, transferred to these uh, huge plants, you know, and, and, and you know, and around the river as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, I think that this, those of us who were in, in the march. To get a chance to w- walk those steps, you know, and was just, I think, something all of us will never forget. And I, I know there was some, when we got back, um, maybe that Monday after everything, I started hearing the feedback from people who didn't go. And there, oh. was, some, there, was, there was some conversations in, the, in, in New Orleans about why, who was dread, he's not from here. He got a million dollars. How come we don't? How come you know? How come this money wasn't spent locally in some other kind of way? Uh, you know, so was all that 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 controversy, and I I thought that that was really uh, interesting. And then I, I really thought about it a little deeper, and I said, well, I think that that was this is good. It was a healthy it's healthy because just think about it. We had done, did this on November eighth and ninth, and on Monday. You know, there were, there were people pushing back on this even before the march. But then after the march, the, the four or 500 of us who were in it, we, we, we went through something. We felt a certain kind of way. We were there, you know, we, we were breathing, walking, seeing, hearing, being in a community. And then I, so I said, well, I said, this, this conversation, this, this controversy is good because what were we talking about the week before? As a community, we weren't talking about this issue or any of these issues. We were just going through our regular little lives, you know, wanting to know what the saints are going to do or something like that. So I think that uh, Dred, he's a, he's an antagonist in terms of his art. He's he's 
he's he's done these things where he he antagonizes or he really pushes up he pushes a reaction from people who are on either side of it. And then mm-hmm. I still see. I mean, this weekend we had the Congo Square Festival in, in Congo in, uh, in Congo Square with the Treme Gumbo Festival. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was produced by the Jazz and Heritage Foundation. And I'm still running the folks who we were all out there together for the march, you know. And so nice. it's like we we have a we have a we have a a thing with us. We, we, we're like really brothers and sisters in a struggle, you know. And I think and and so I think that that's why I thought it was important for us on the day that morning when you gave the libation that morning uh, before we started out on that Sunday, that we also uh, share with everybody in the march about what is next, you know, as we walk these miles mm-hmm. that day. And when we got to Congress Square that afternoon, the question came up again, what's next? And so I think it's important in New Orleans, and I'm sure around, uh, around as the African diaspora, is that, is that uh, the controversy in New Orleans is that sometimes, you know, there's such a lack of resources for art and creative and cultural things that we almost, we almost like crabs in a barrel competing over these things, you know. And so, but if the question is what's next, and if, and if I can, you know, speak to, to ask you, Wanda, what's next, and then, you know, and then we, we ask each other what's next, and then we share that with each other and say, well, I'm going to support you on your what's next, and this is what I'm going to do next, and I'm going to want you to support me. I think that gets us out of this thing where we, like, if it ain't, if it ain't something I'm doing, then I ain't supporting it. And I think, mm-hmm. I think now we have, like, four or 500 people who can understand what the, the power of unity is, you know. And I, I know there was one young man, he was working the stage at the festival this weekend, and uh, it was like my, him, myself, and another uh, a good friend of mine, and we were talking about the, the 1811 slavery vote reenactment. And then it was it was also election day, you know, Saturday. So, so the young man was saying, you know, we have to learn how to do more things together. You know, like we need to like spend our money together. And so I said, I had just came from voting, so I had a little voting sticker. I said, well, are you voting today? He said, no, I don't vote. I don't believe in vote. I said, well, brother, you just said we should all do things together. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, if black folks need to vote today, you need to go vote. You know what I'm saying? And that's how we have, we have to change how we, I'm going to stay in my lane, I'm not going to vote, or whatever it is. We have to say, okay, well, I might not be, I'm, I don't really see the function of voting. But then as we saw the election reviews, uh, results come in Saturday night, what was interesting was uh, Responsi was, Responsi was winning the whole day. Until New Orleans vote came in, you know what I'm saying? And as soon mm-hmm. as that New Orleans vote came in, about 10 o'clock, it shifted over like 5,000, 10,000, like 20,000 more people voted for for mm-hmm. you know John Bell and you know to be to, to get a second term. And that's the power of our people. That was a New Orleans vote coming in. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. these these Amen, are examples. Brother. These are examples uh, uh, of how if we came to if we come together on. Let me come together with you, and then you come together with me. We shouldn't just say, just come together with me, but I ain't going to come together with you. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. the one thing that if we can start coming out of New Orleans and have this spread around the diaspora, this would be something that would be, you know, just how jazz came out of New Orleans 100 years ago. This could be something very pivotal for our future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wanda, before, before you respond, because I'm going to have to get off soon. This is Camelia. I just want to say okay. uh, thank you for that um, I, I don't know who was speaking, but I want to thank you for that. Yeah, I'm at the Xavier, Baba so Luther. To, Baba Luther. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you want to continue, we, we definitely continue to working together. 
One way that I thought very, very succinctly that we can all contribute is to making sure that our community knows the value of performance um, and the power that performance um, carries. As, as a biochemist, um, I think that, you know, I came because I understand the power of in